What time did you want to do the... Uh, Coming to you from the live casino hotel studio. This is the bat around. This is Vasilius Nicolau joining me today. As always, I am Paul Valley. Vasilius, running a little late this morning, man. He just he literally just sat down. I thought I was gonna have to start the show without him. I'm sitting here, I'm freaking out. I'm like, how am I gonna how am I gonna get guests on the line? But luckily, you're here. We're gonna do a great show. How was your week, man? It's been good. Uh, I um Enjoyed watching the absolute shellacking of the defending champs last night at the Orioles' hand. Uh, sorry for being late. A couple of personal issues, but hey, we're here. We're, I was here before the show. We're all good. I promise it won't happen again. But um, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing from the Orioles' pitching staff. I'll get more into that later. And, I mean, we're, we're here for a good show. Yeah, man. It, it, it should be a good one. It should be a good one. I, um, I have to be honest. I'm a perfectionist when it comes to my sports journalism. And our guests last week were great. John Mioli was fantastic. Stan was great as always. You know, and then we had um, uh, Jeff Arnold, Orioles broadcaster, on his first year as an Orioles broadcaster. And he was fantastic also. He did a really great job. A lot of things I was happy with with the show last week. But in my opinion, it wasn't our best effort. I felt like um, myself personally, kind of, I kind of dropped the ball, so to speak. So, this show is going to be much better. This show is going to be much better than last week. And I see this stoic look on Vasilios's face right now. It's not you, man. I'm a perfectionist, and I felt like there were some things that I could have done better in last week's show. And the reason I bring that up is because, man, I am freaking exhausted today. <laughs> I. I <laughs> I work in a restaurant, and last night was what you can only describe as, and for, since there may be kids watching, it was a crap show. At my job last night, the computer systems went down uh, pretty early on in the dinner shift, and they never came back. Um, I didn't get home from work until midnight, and... Just to kind of give you a bit of a rundown about what happens with this show, we usually book a couple of guests by Monday or Tuesday at the latest on Wednesday, and these are guys that we know are going to come onto the show, right, that we know that we can get pretty easily. Uh, then you have to go through a lot of Orioles PR to get some to get some players or some uh, to get like Jeff Arnold or, say, Kevin Brown or somebody like that, yeah. and sometimes, sometimes they can't help you out. This was one of those weeks, and you know the Orioles PR staff, they do a great job. They do an excellent job, and I, I, they just couldn't help us out this week, and that's quite all right. I like the fact that we don't have a guest uh, until 11.35 in the second hour because it gives us a chance to talk about some baseball one-on-one here, and I liked that segment of the show last week. But the reason I tell you how this show usually goes in procuring guests for the week is that a lot of times you don't have an opportunity to start preparing for the show until the night before. And my plan yesterday was to get off work at 10, get home, watch the end of the watch some of the West Coast games and get my notes done. I didn't get home till midnight. 
last night. Did not get home till midnight last night. I was up till almost 3.30 in the morning doing my notes for the show. And if you, I, I emailed them to you last night. If you got them, they are quite extensive because I want to cover all the bases. Did you send them to my work email? I sent them to the only email I have for you. Yeah. Oh, you can't check until you get to work. My <laughs> it's bad. It's all good. My bad. Okay. Well, I tried to get the notes to you. That's fair. So I'm up till 3.30 in the morning doing the notes. And if you know anything about me, I'm my brain is constantly going. And after that, I tried to go to sleep. But then for the next two hours, my brain kept going over what I was going to say and how we were going to do the show and how it was going to go, what we were going to ask our guests, even though I already had the notes down. So I'm exhausted. I didn't fall asleep till after 5.30 in the morning. Jeez. I had to get up at 8.30 to come to do this show, and then I work again tonight. So bear with me. But hey, such is life. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. So if I have to stay up until 5.30 in the morning to get this show right, I'm going to stay up until 5.30 in the morning to get this show right. Now, you mentioned the Orioles pitching. You mentioned the Orioles shellacking of the World Series champion Washington Nationals last night. 11 nothing. Yep. In game one of a six-game series, oh, it's a three-game series. They play the Nationals again in Baltimore later on this year, but it's six games in the Beltway series. The Orioles improved to six and seven. The Nationals dropped to four and six. The Orioles busted out 19 hits yesterday, eight extra base hits, eight extra base hits for the second game in a row. The game that they lost to the Marlins, 8-7, they had uh, four home runs and four doubles last night. Seven doubles, one home run. And we're looking at this team, and who are they? <laughs> who, who are they? Because when this show went off air last week, the Orioles went on to win games two and three of the series against the Rays. Yep. They swept the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay Rays picked by a lot of people to actually win the American League East. Some people even have them going to the World Series and winning this year, and the Orioles swept them to get to 5-3. and three. If the playoffs had started at the end of last Sunday, the Orioles would have been in the playoffs. If the playoffs started today, the Orioles would be in the playoffs because they and Tampa Bay are 6-7, and seven and they swept the Rays. Of course. The that's other Florida the, team gave them fits. Yeah. That's not how baseball works, yeah. right? The season doesn't stop after eight games. This year after 60, which is not a lot, but still more than eight, and you're absolutely right. The the Miami Marlins, the other Florida team, gave them fits. Swept the Orioles four games to none after not playing for almost 10 days. Yeah. Having 18 players on COVID. Having guys like Logan Forsyth sign off the free agent heat pile uh, to come out. And he actually had a couple of hits in that, in that series. Not a good look for the Orioles, but then I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. I knew that it was going to happen, that they were going to come out and they were going to hand it to the Nationals last night because that's baseball. Yeah. You can't explain losing four games to a team that's arguably on paper the worst team in baseball because of COVID. You can't explain that. So, of course, the Orioles come out and win 11 nothing. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about that is a little sidebar right here is that uh, so when the Orioles games come on at WBAL, we have someone in – in our electronic journalism department who records the game off TV, just like on, on just records in, we are able to access and pull together the highlights for the, for the shows and everything. And he titled the recording O's versus COVID's. I just, (laughs) instead of the Marlins, he put the COVID's and I'm like, 
Oof. <laughs> kind of now, how did you, how did you feel about that? Because I, I, I feel like that's a little low rent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. He's like, oh, if I, if I lose a couple of days of work, what's the big deal? <laughs> oh man, uh, I just. You know what? I'm not the <laughs> I'm I'm not the dude's boss. I, I, that's a line I wouldn't cross. I, I, I was looking for O's versus Marlins, and I just. I'm like, oh my god, he made it O's versus Covids. Yeah, uh, that's not something like went out like on air or anything like that. Oh, so no. It's just something that got sent to you. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay, okay, that's that's not as bad. Yeah, that's yeah. not as bad. But we certainly don't want to make light of that situation. We also don't want to spend too much time talking about it because we just we don't want to do that. No, we you don't. know we we we'd rather just talk about the game of yeah. baseball. So in that game last night. Iglesias, Hayes, and Severino each collected three hits. We'll talk about Austin Hayes later in our take to rake. Um, and Rio Ruiz did absolutely nothing. <laughs> 0 for 5 with three strikeouts. Yep. We'll talk about that later in take to rake. Uh, Iglesias, 4 for 4. He had another double to add to his Major League leading. Ma- tie for the Major League lead with seven doubles. Uh, his only other at bat, sacrifice fly. Very productive at night for the Orioles shortstop Iglesias. 4 for 4 with three RBIs last night. Renato Nunez with it's, it's high noon in Baltimore. Renato Nunez, his fifth home run of the year. He's got 11 RBIs, three home runs the last two games. And this is a guy that can carry a team offensively when he gets hot. He's To me, he's a very streaky. I, I liken him to Luke Scott. Do you remember Luke Scott, yeah. outfielder for the Orioles? Uh Good dude from all accounts, but a little little out there, kind of kind of like a backcountry uh, hunter type who has very strong political beliefs. But on the baseball field, more, boy, could that dude mash. Yep. And he would go on these streaks where he'd hit eight home runs in a week, and then he'd go three weeks without getting a hit. And that's – I don't think that Nunez can go three weeks without getting a hit, but Nunez is that type of guy, also like Mark Reynolds – where he can hit eight home runs in a week and carry a team and help you win five games in, in a, in a seven-day week. So he had a really nice game. Tommy Malone. And we're going to get to the Orioles pitching yeah. in about in about seven minutes. Uh, for your, We're doing a new segment today called Sounding Off with Vasilios, where he's going to talk about each week he's going to have an opportunity to talk about something that either excites him or upsets him in Major League Baseball. It doesn't have to be the Orioles. doesn't have to be the Nationals. It can be anything you want. And this week, he's going to talk about Orioles pitching. But again, we're going to get to that about 10-17. Tommy Malone last night, he became the first Orioles starter to go six innings. Yeah, Six innings pitched, uh, three hits, three Ks, no earned runs, no walks. It was almost the Orioles' either fifth or almost the Orioles' fifth game, I believe, without allowing a walk. But David Hess, uh, he came in, pitched the last two innings of that game, and he did walk a batter. But he didn't give up a run, which is nice to see from David Hess because we all know he's had his struggles. Um, last year and early on this year, not getting a lot of appearances. But Tommy Malone, he's put together back-to-back starts where he's allowed one earned run, he's allowed just nine hits, and has really solidified his part. You remember on opening day how bad he was. Yeah, it was the uh, Orioles' rock bottom, if I recall correctly. Yes, yes. You said Orioles' rock bottom. I thought it was a little early in the season. They did just get swept four games by the Marlins. That may have been the rock bottom. None of those games were as bad as that first one. That's true. They also lost a game to the Yankees 12-3. This is true. Where... And they also lost a game to the Yankees where they hit a a go-ahead home run in the eighth and then uh, three high 
a 3-1 belly button high fastball to Aaron Judge with two guys on base. We know how that goes. We, we, don't, we don't need to discuss that too much. But uh, Chris Davis, two more hits last night. At one point, he had had, um, I believe it was three hits and four at-bats when you consider the night before. He had doubled in his last at-bat in the game against the Marlins on Thursday. Led off in his first at-bat yesterday with a double. Ended up with two hits yesterday. So his bat seems to be uh, coming around here. I like that his double on Thursday night went to left center field, and then he was able to pull one for a double uh, last night. Hopefully he's getting back to a little bit of what we saw during spring training because one for 23 start. And you have flashbacks to last year and the year before. We all know that Chris Davis set a major league record. I believe he started, he went 0 for 54 between the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. Um, so the, the 1 for 23 start was not great. But he t- he's turned it around the last two games, which has been nice to, s- nice to see. Um, we mentioned Tommy Malone lowered his ERA to 321. That is a sneaky 321. Let's talk a little bit about the Nationals. Right. Because we are a local baseball show, okay? And I'm not going to hide hide this. I am not a Nationals fan. And there are a lot of sports journalists out there who think that you should not show your fandom. And I get where they're coming from. I think that you can be a fan of a team that you cover, but also give it to people straight. And that's that's what I try to do. So I'm not a fan of the Nationals. I think that last year, the 1931 start was an outlier. I think that they were actually the team, more like the team that won the World Series than the team that started 1931. I thought they just underachieved to start last year. But I also think that they've shot themselves in the foot because in back-to-back off seasons, you don't re-sign Bryce Harper and you don't re-sign Anthony Rendon. And right now, you don't have... Um, Ryan Zimmerman in the lineup. He's opted out. Soto has had eight at-bats. Trey Turner not hitting. Steven Strasburg, he makes his first start of the season tomorrow because he had, a, he had a hand injury, so he hasn't been able to pitch. And Max Scherzer, he left his last start early with a minor hamstring injury. Seems like he's going to be okay. May make his next start. But this Nationals team is off to a 4-6 and six start. And that, not that that's, that that's terrible, but they're sitting in fourth place right now in the NL East, and they're kind of starting to dig themselves a hole. And if you want to defend that World Series championship, the first step is to get to the playoffs. And four and six playing under 500 baseball, that's not going to get you there, you know. And the, 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 you look at Trey Turner; he's hitting 184. You know, the, the Sanchez, Annabelle Sanchez, their, their number four starter. He's been lit up for nine runs in two starts. Yeah, he did not look good last night at all. You no, know, he, he it was batting practice. Yeah, it was. It was batting practice out there. Uh, we we mentioned Juan Soto just ate at bats because he, he tested positive for COVID nineteen right before the season started. If that hadn't happened, Juan Soto was my pick for MVP in the National League this year. That that dude at twenty years old hit like two eighty nine. 34 home runs, 110 RBIs as a 20-year-old. He didn't turn 21 until the Nationals were in the World Series last year. Like, who does that at 20 years old? It's unbelievable player who had a string of bad luck there. It's just, and then you look at this Nationals offense. And before the season started, I talked about and we were talking about this back in February, back in March, when Stan was hosting the show and Craig Heist was on here almost every Saturday. How are the Nationals going to score runs? How are they going to score runs? And guess what? They're not. Through 10 games, they've scored 30 runs. That's an even 
or odd three runs per game. They're they're not scoring. Yeah, I mean it's they they just didn't look spectacular to me last night at all. I mean Juan Soto still he he was quelled last night. Tommy Malone, the thirty three year old pitcher, just he he showed just mean command of the strike zone last night. He and I'll get into this later, but the ERA for the team is just is astounding right now. They're about middle of the pack thanks to Tommy Malone's start last night. Mm-hmm. And it's just the the Nationals have a real problem here. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we actually talked to Craig Heist. Um, they don't look like they have that X factor in the lineup right now. And once once Soto gets going, then sure they'll have it back, but. Right now, with Rendon gone, like you said, they don't have that pop in the middle of the lineup, and they don't have that guy that can that can put the team on his back and make a play. Well, right, and the, the they're depending on guys like Eric Thames and Estrubal Cabrera and Starlin Castro to replace the production that they were getting uh, from Rendon, from Zimmerman, and... These guys are nice players. They're not world beaters. Yeah. They're not... You go back to the whole money ball thing with the Oakland Athletics, and they're, they're trying to get three players to replace one is basically what they're trying to do. And I, and I get it, but that might work out over a 162-game season. And yeah, sure, when, when you let Rendon go, you did not know what was going to happen. You did not know this pandemic was going to happen. And... Look, I, I get it. It was either him or Strasburg. But now you have $60 million a season tied up between two starting pitchers, and you don't have a formidable bat for the middle of your lineup. Having Juan Soto in your lineup is nice. It's great. He's one of the, he is one of the, arguably the best young player in the game right now. But if he doesn't have anybody protecting him, he's not going to see a lot. To, he, he's going to get a ton of walks, and the production's just not going to be there because he has nobody to, to protect him. Now, what I will say is... That the Nationals have kind of run into a buzzsaw with the Orioles pitching staff. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's weird to say that. I know. It's weird to say that, but they've pitched pretty, pretty well. You're going to get yeah. into it in your sounding off with Facilios right now. And then we're going to talk about it in the second hour. We do have Stan Charles coming on the line at 1020, Jeremy Kahn at 1045, and then Matt Kremnitzer, uh, a an Orioles beat writer for Press Box. Uh, doc, pressboxonline.com. He will join the show at 11:35 from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. Basilios, talk to me a little about about the Orioles pitching in what we like to call sounding off with Basilios. All right. So a baseball team's success always hinges on pitching, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. There's two halves there. It's the batting and it's the pitching. But I'm ta- I'm here to talk about the pitching today. So what if I told you this is the best Orioles pitching staff? Since 2016. Obviously, they passed the eye test, but in terms of ERA, it's the lowest it's been in four years. 2019 and 2018 were all well above five, and 2017 was just under five, right at 4.97. This progression shouldn't come as a surprise, though, with Alex Cobb pitching to the tune of a 2.5 ERA, and last year's lone Oriole All-Star John Means bouncing back after imploding in his first start. If Wade LeBlanc didn't allow six run, six runs a couple of nights ago, the Orioles will still be at like a three point four point three five or a four point four ERA, which I'm still waiting for the stats to update for, with Malone stats from last 4. night. Four point four two. It's four point four two. Four point four two. Middle yeah. of the pack. Middle of the pack. So I mean, before last night the Orioles were like twenty three. Now they're in middle of the pack. So they they bumped up quite a bit there. 
So, I mean, I know we're only 13 games into the 60-game season, but the steady improvement is certainly reassuring here. There are plenty of fans that would love to point the blame at the pitching, of course. Like, there, there are those starts, like those ones against the Yankees, the opening, opening day against the Red, uh, the Red Sox. I mean, it just wasn't good. But, um, I mean, this, remi- this staff reminds me a lot of the 2013 staff, which, uh, the, I mean, and the bats didn't show up till it was too late in most cases that year. Uh, but, I mean, it worked. It worked, and the run support was awful in this series, the Miami series, with the ability to score, and they couldn't score with runners in scoring position. Yeah, they've been pretty bad most of the year Yeah, with I mean, runners in scoring position. And they, they had multiple attempts in this series against Miami, but I'm by no means saying the staff is anywhere near great, but uh, there seems like they're trending in the right direction. That's enough for me to hope for good things in 2021 well yeah they certainly are trending in the right in the right direction i like that the walks are down the strikeouts are up and last year this team led the majors they gave up 305 home runs this year they've given up 15 which is eighth in the american league but when you look at the fact that 305 home runs last year dead last in major league baseball and now there's seven teams that are worse than them in the american league the pitching is definitely progressing nicely and with that in mind we have stan charles on the line stan the fan charles who's going to talk to us a little bit about it stan what are you seeing from the orioles pitching right now well i mean again i wrote a piece uh, a couple of months back and predicted that the Orioles pitching that there would be some improvement this year uh, based on the pitching being better. Uh, and I, I sort of went over those stats a, a few weeks ago, and I found that the guys like David Hess and Jakob Bonus and you name them, there were about 12 or 14 guys. And Hess is still on the team, which is shocking to me, and so is Evan Phillips. But there were 12 or 14 guys whose ERA on a team, a team that had a 559 ERA for the season, those 12 or 14 guys had ERAs of 7.79, okay? And that was over about wow. 347 innings. Wow. Uh, and I'll, I'll kind of repeat that as a mantra for several weeks now, that because I think I'm right on this, that the pitching was going to improve because they were going to get, they were going to get some positivity by, you know, addition by subtraction, on some guys that really weren't major league caliber pitchers. Right, right. I, I, I tend to agree with you like on, on things like that. And it's, it's amazing to me. You said that David Hess, you're surprised he's still on the team. Last night, I believe, it's only his second appearance, and it was his first since opening day. Am I, am, am I correct there, Stan? I, I, you know, I don't follow it quite the way you guys do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I heard that line last night. Yep. Which yep. is, and you know what, to his credit, he pitched well. He didn't have any strikeouts, but he went two innings. He didn't give up any runs. He had one walk. Uh, the Orioles only had one walk in the game. And I was just talking to Vasilios. I love the fact that right now the Orioles are third in the American League. They've walked just 33 batters to start this season. And that's something that we're not used to seeing from this pitching staff over the last couple of years. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, that's really when you talk about the improvement, it's really – you know, despite LeBlanc's terrible performance uh, two nights ago, uh, and I, you know, I, don't, I haven't found much to pick uh, Brandon Hyde apart, but I knew when he when he walked Lewis Brinson, uh, I knew I knew it was not going to be his night. And then when he hit that that other guy uh, Sierra, yeah, 
I, I, I just said, why is he, why is he staying, sticking with him? It was just obviously wasn't his night. But having said that, LeBlanc and Malone bring such a professionalism to him. Look, they're not great pitchers, so let's not, you know, uh, they're, they're not going to lead us to the promised land. But they are great bridge-type guys that that will be professional, you know, and, and won't do the things that Jacobonis and those guys did last year. Well, yeah, and what I, you mentioned it, Right there, you hit the nail on the head that these are these guys are professionals, and are are, are they Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer? Of course they aren't, but they they solidify a rotation that had an ERA last year five fifty seven. Tommy Malone has been everything you would dream of uh, out of a starting pitcher over his last couple of starts. One earned run in eleven innings, his last two starts, he's pitched well. Alex Cobb has looked like the Alex Cobb the Orioles thought they were getting when they signed him to that four year deal in 2018. Two point five ERA. Yeah, he, he's 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 looking good out there, but the Orioles have been they've been inconsistent. We, they they swept the Rays uh, in the series last weekend, and then they go out and they get swept by the Marlins four games straight. A team that hadn't been playing for ten days and had eighteen guys uh, that were on the COVID list. And then they go out and beat the world champions last night, eleven to nothing. What can you tell us about the Orioles' inconsistencies? Was this eleven nothing win who the Orioles are, or was the, well, the, I mean, the getting the, swept of four games who the Orioles are? Well, the inconsistency is something you really can't, you know, you you really can't dissect it over the four days of the Marlins series, other than to say that the the Orioles' offensive limitations. Um, we're, we're on full display, you know. It would be convenient to say, well, Iglesias was, wasn't playing that whole series and Rio Ruiz weren't. Those were guys that, let's be honest, we weren't counting when the season started. We weren't saying, boy, we've got Rio Ruiz and Jose Iglesias to lead this offense. So everything they've done, the positive things and the negative things, has been totally sort of unpredictable and off-kilter. Well, you know, I always used to talk to my dad about it, and he would always tell me that the sign of a bad baseball team is inconsistent baseball. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we don't know who the Orioles are right now. We, we don't expect them to make the playoffs. We don't expect them to make to make a deep run this season. We have seen some exciting baseball out of them, but you can't ignore that four-game sweep to the, to the the uh, at the hands of the Marlins. What I noticed about them, Stan, is in game one in particular, they saw 120 pitches, 81 strikes. It looked to me like they were chasing a lot of pitches. And then when I went back and I looked at that series a little bit deeper, in the Marlins series, the Orioles averaged just two walks a game. In all other games this year, you double that. They're at 3.8 walks per game in all Mm -hmm. other games. It seemed to me that they were a little too aggressive in their approach at the plate against the Marlins. And I'm wondering if it's because they expected to roll a team like the Marlins who was com- who were coming off and had, had, were dealt a pretty bad hand. Yeah. Um, that's what the, the general sense of opinion is, is that the Orioles got kind of, you know, um, what the, you know, sort of hijacked in that series, that they didn't come in sort of mentally ready to play a major league team. And it just uh, snowballed on them, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know that for a fact. I just, uh, I listen to what other people are saying. I digest what I watch in that series, and it makes some sense to me that they weren't fully there 
and the Marlins got exceptional pitching. Look, the Marlins went to to play the Mets last night, and they they were victorious again. So they're they're six and one. You talk about things that are out of uh, out of the realm of possibility. Nobody would have thought that before a pandemic or after or during a pandemic that the Marlins would be six and one after seven games. Well, actually, last night was their seventh win. They're seven and one. They've they're won seven. And one. Yeah, they've won six straight games. The only team hotter than them right now. That's right. They're seven and one. That's yeah. right. The only team hotter than them right now is the Oakland Athletics, who won their seventh straight game last night in thirteen innings over the Astros. Right. Um. So the Orioles, maybe they lost a little bit of focus. They certainly looked focused last night against the Nationals. This was game one of six games this season in what we like to call the Beltway Series around here. And what I noticed more, uh, yes, the Orioles hit the cover off the ball. 19 hits, 8 extra base hits last night, 16 extra base hits the last two games. But to me, and Vasilius and I were talking about this right before we got to on the line stand, the Nationals, are they're struggling to score runs. The, last night wasn't wasn't the, the first time that they weren't good offensively. It, they've scored three runs per game through 10 games this year. Yeah, well, you know, you lose uh, Rendon, you have Zimmerman, you know, uh, opt out, and uh, so- Soto was on the uh, COVID list. Right. Um, you're you're going to struggle a little bit. You know, look, this team, uh, when, you, when you analyze what team in baseball really is going to lose Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon in, in consecutive seasons, right? And still be a, any type of powerhouse. And they certainly, to me, look their their offensive lineup now just does not scare you. It's a it's a very mundane type of lineup. It absolutely does not scare you when you're replacing the production of Rendon with three players in Estrubal Cabrera, Eric Thames, and Starling Castro. And like I said earlier, that these these are good baseball players. That they're you know you, they they can they can. Well, help you're also win. counting on Carter Keyboom, and that I mean you know I think Mike Rizzo's smart enough. That's why he that's why he sort of has his roster protected for long run with somebody who's a little bit more professional hitter in Cabrera, and that's why he got Starlin Castro. It was, to, it was to ensure that they've got more professionalism um, than, than, you know, they did with, with third base, they sort of did what the Orioles did with their rotation. You know, they, they sort of sh- shrouded it with, with professional players, you know. Uh, but to think that that team that we saw last night is capable of winning a World Series um, certainly doesn't, it, it's not looking that way to me right now, especially, uh, and everybody poo-pooed the second half of last year. Everybody was poo-pooing uh, the uh, Scherzer injury last year. Well, we're once two starts into this year, and he's, you know, he's suspect again. Right. Yeah, Stan, uh, so looking at tonight's matchup between the, the Orioles and the Nationals, the, we got Thomas Eshelman going, again, going up against Austin Voth, and this is going to be the second night in a row where the Orioles haven't faced top-of-the-line pitching. Mm-hmm. Do you think they could, they could possibly do tonight what they did last night facing a pitcher that's not named Strasburg or, Scher- or Scherzer? Um, you know, I, I'm not in that game of predicting night in and night out what the team is going to do. I will tell you this, though, that Ashelman, I, I think the one role that Ashelman could, 
excel in is being either the opener for a team or the guy that comes in after the opener that you're hoping to get three innings out of. Um, starting him and kind of keeping your fingers crossed that you're going to get five or six good innings out of Eshelman is not a recipe for success as far as I'm concerned. So I would expect uh, Eshelman is no more than kind of an opener. And in that regard, Malone really gave them what they needed last night, which was length uh, before Eshelman starts a game. Well, yeah, and in Eshelman's lone appearance this year, he came in, I believe, after Asher Wojciechowski in that game against the Marlins, and he went three and a third innings. He allowed just right. one hit. It was, it was the home run, but he pitched well. Now, look, Thomas Eshelman isn't a guy. He's a former second-round pick, but he's not a guy – Who's gonna blow you away? He's a location guy. He's gotta he's gotta make his pitch because he doesn't have that overpowering fastball. And Stan, I agree yeah, with and you. And that's a, that's sort of he's a right handed version of Malone, you know, in that regard. He, he he's gotta have impeccable control when he pitches and he's and again, uh, that doesn't mean a guy can't go five innings, but I really think you're rolling the dice with him after three innings. Once once everybody's seen him in the lineup. Well, I, I tend to agree with you, and I, I think that we haven't seen Miguel Castro in a couple of days, so I right. think that, that the Orioles' plan tonight could be get three, maybe four innings out of Eshelman and then let Castro bridge the gap to the back end of that bullpen. I, I, I tend to agree with you there, Stan. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking tonight. Now, you know, and, and their, their pitcher tonight is a, you know, they've got, what, three young pitchers, um, uh, They've got Fetty, Voth, and um, uh, Joe Ross, who's opted out this year. Right. You know, um, Ross is somebody who I like an awful lot. Fetty, I think, is much more a reliever than a starting pitcher. Voth, I haven't seen a tremendous amount of him, but his numbers, you know, in the minor leagues were, were pretty good, you know, so... Uh, I, I think the Orioles are in for a uh, interesting matchup tonight. Well, yeah, Voth, he, he pitched well for the Nationals last year. He got nine games, eight starts through, I think, uh, 48 and a third innings. He was 2-1 and one with a 330 ERA. He's had one start this year against Toronto. He's 0-1 with a 360 ERA, allowed three runs, two earned in that start. So I don't think that this is a cakewalk for the Orioles. By, uh, with the Baltimore Orioles, nothing is a cakewalk these <laughs> you know, days. No. It's not figuring to be a cake. Yeah, exactly. But, so, but the key to the key to the game will be from the Oriole perspective is does Eshelman give them three good innings tonight? You know, keep us in the game, and then you know, using bridging that uh, that number. But right now, how many pitchers are the Orioles carrying? Are they fifteen? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm I'm not positive. I believe that the number is right around fifteen. I can yeah. I can I can check for you right now. But I think when they were thirty, I think it was sixteen. But I think it's I think they when they got down to twenty eight, they put Stewart down, and I don't remember who else left the team. I think they're I think they're fifteen pitchers right now. Yeah. There are fourteen by my count. There there are fourteen with means on the bereavement list. Okay. Yeah, well, right, yeah. then I mean, means will be back uh, Monday. You know, so yeah. that's fifteen pitchers are carrying essentially. Exactly. And so you, you talked about the Steven Strasburg injury, and that's kind of par for the course right now in Major League Baseball. Uh, we're seeing 
a lot of pitchers going down with injuries right now, just to name a few who have spent time already on the injured list. Uh, Strasburg, Scherzer, Kershaw, Verlander, and Kluber could be done for the year. Miles Michaelis, he, he's done for the year. Tommy Canely, Cole Hamels. Um, for the Orioles, John Means, Hunter Harvey, Anthony DiSclafini, who I know, Stan, you were high on uh, when he uh, for the Reds earlier this year. Is this because of that quick three-week ramp-up from summer camp? Do you think that these pitchers just didn't have enough time, and that's why we're seeing so many injuries? Yeah, I think I think that speaks uh, speaks to what happened. You know, I mean, this is a very unusual season, and you know, you have a variety of pitchers who probably handled the pandemic, and it's easy now to say, well, they should have they should have stayed in. You know, they should have been working out and staying in shape and and getting their throwing in and all that. It's not quite that e- as easy as it sounds in the time of a pandemic to to find somebody that's willing to get together with you that's capable of catching a major league pitcher. Uh, it, it's just it's a whole different ball game, And uh, I think that there's no question it was predictable in some ways, you know. I mean, the most predictable thing was that my fantasy baseball team would be beset by injuries in pitching. And I had Kershaw go out, and like he was put on the I.L., like about an hour or two hours before the first game. And I knew nothing about any injury on Kershaw because we drafted two nights before opening night. And then uh, Soroka gets the Achilles, and who's going to predict that? Right. You can't say that the Achilles injury that he suffered had anything to do with the, uh, you know, the uh, shutdown. So. Uh, that's, that was just a freak thing, hopping off the mound. Basilios. Yep. Yeah, yep. Uh, um, you're, you're absolutely right about about. It's it's not as easy as it sounds to stay to stay in shape uh, over the course of well, what lockdown and quarantine we had. I, I was talking to Zach Lowther of the Orioles minor league organization earlier this week, and uh, he told me that the only way he was really able to stay somewhat in shape this this uh, of these last four and a half months was was by building his own mound in his yard, mm-hmm. and and. Just he he was only able to like see a couple of his friends from the minor leagues and uh, right. it, was, it was crazy that that like that's really the only thing you can do as a pitcher is to just throw. Who was the, but who was the one pitcher I can't remember if it had anything to do with the Orioles or not, but there was somebody whose wife actually caught him. I think uh, that I think that was um, it wasn't John Means. It may have been John Means, but I think it right. was it. It may have been Eshelman. Man, you, no, it was. Nice. I think mean, it may have been Hess. I, I know somebody's somebody's wife yeah. called him. Who's the guy who who was making all the masks with his wife? Don't don't remember who that was. I think that, that was, was an or that was an Oriole. Yeah, I, th- I think that was Eshelman. I think that was Eshelman. Okay. I, it may have been. It may have been because John Means' wife is an athlete in her own right. So it may have been. That's right. You know, it may have been Means. You it may, may be right. On it that. may have been Means. Now, Stan, yeah. be- before I let you go, um, yeah. there are a lot of hitters struggling right now. By the way, I want to remind everybody that tonight's game, I didn't know yesterday until I happened to look at 5, five o'clock that yesterday's game was 6.05, yeah. and so is tonight's game. Yep. And yeah. tomorrow is 12.35. That I did not know. I assumed it was a 1.05 game, but yeah, I saw no, that. it's a 12.35 game. I, I don't quite understand the, the, why they can't come up with universal times for these games. Especially when they don't have fans coming to the ballpark. I, I, I don't get it either. 6.05 yeah. is such a random weekend start time. And so is 12.35 well, on Sunday. Well, how about tonight, the 6.05? 
Yeah. It, I mean, if, if there's a reason for the Nationals to be doing that that makes sense, then why isn't every team doing it? I mean, it seems like starting the games at dinner time is sort of, and I know Friday and Saturday is a little bit different, but that seems like really goofy to me. It, it, it does, and the only thing you could think of is that they want to start the games earlier so that families can watch the games together, kids, before they get yeah, to bed for school. I, but but nobody's in school right now. No. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't know I don't what the deal yeah. is. Yeah. So Anyway, I just I meant to interrupt. So fans of this show, uh, people that are listening or watching to this show, uh, know tonight's game is 6.05, Eshelman versus Austin both. And we certainly appreciate you Thanks, bringing man. that to everybody's attention. Yeah. Now, before I let you go, a lot of hitters. In, across Major League Baseball are struggling right now. Andrew Benintendi's hitting 061. Jose Altuve, 192. Anthony Rendon's hitting 121, albeit in limited how, how action. About, how about my my fantasy team, which I have to say, I can't complain too much. I'm in first place as of last night. You lucky dog. Uh, monster <laughs> night. But I've got I've got Christian Yelich, who was my number one pick. He's hitting under one. Actually, he's over 100 now, I think. 125, uh, but he's home in back-to-back you, games. And Eugenio Suarez, who's hitting about 110. Yeah, I uh, saw the that. Angels, the Angels, it's unbelievable. They've got Pujols, they've got Rendon, and they've got one of their other important hitters. It might be Upton. They're all hitting like 120. Yeah, Upton's it's, uh, hitting 109. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's across the league. And the guy that yeah. I want to talk about, it was... You know, he was loved by many and hated by many in Baltimore. Polarizing figure, to say the least. Manny Machado, he's hitting one. Yeah. He's hitting one eighty nine. And look, yeah. when he, when he got traded from Baltimore, he was hitting about three fifteen with twenty four home runs. Mm-hmm. And he didn't he he didn't do anything off the charts with the Dodgers. And since signing that three hundred million dollar contract in San Diego, his numbers haven't been eye popping. Only hit about two fifty two last year. He still hit thirty five home runs or thirty two home runs, but. This was a guy that we thought was a, a transcendent player who had a Hall of Fame career ahead of him, and he's not... Not, he's, not, to, inter- not to interrupt your question, but uh, I, I said at the time that that contract was signed, that, and this is more not because of the stats that you're reciting right now. I thought it was more the type of guy he is yeah. that, that they would rue the day that they have him for 13 years. Well, and uh, so far... The bottom line is whether he's a great guy or not a great guy, they didn't spend $300 million for, for this kind of production. Exactly, and it makes you wonder, did he get his money and just sit on it? Or is, is he not putting in the work to be the Manny Machado that we saw here in Baltimore? Because the player I'm seeing out in San Diego, that ain't the same guy. He's not Johnny who, Hustle. Who is playing here. <laughs> yeah, he's not Johnny Hustle. Right, right yeah. Uh, boy, that is a that is the uh, three hundred million dollar question in San Diego right now, uh, and I'm sure ownership every night they're watching him right now is uh, questioning Mr. Preller uh, as to whether he made the right move or not. But listen, I certainly didn't predict that into year two that Manny Machado would be putting up these kind of numbers. I think Manny's a guy who, you know, he like. I'm not saying he came out of nowhere. He was a, a great talent in, in high school, and he was very good in his early days in minor league baseball. I think the biggest change in Manny Machado is the fact that, A, he got married, which is a whole different ball game, and, B, 
he's got this humongous contract around his neck. And both of those things are keeping him from just being who Manny Machado was prior to their happening. You know, uh, there's an awful lot of responsibility and stuff that comes with being married. Uh, not all players handle that great to begin with. Um, and and I think, again, that contract is, is starting to circle like a noose around his neck a little bit, that he's got to live up to that. And when you get off to a bad start like he is, um, that noose gets a little bit tighter. Absolutely, and it's, it's amazing to see how life's little nuances can be such a distraction. Ga- ba- baseball, is, it's played between the ears. It, it, it's as much a mental game as any game, and it's amazing how even the slightest distractions, getting married, you know, finding a house out in San Diego and, you know, living your life out there after that $300 million contract, how that can get in the way of your focus and prevent you from being the player that you're supposed to be. Yeah, it's life Life throws you some curveballs that you're not expecting, you know, and, and the curveballs are redoing what sort of re... I remember a college professor of mine, and I'll make this quick, came in one day and he lectured us about a book, about a book called Making It, and and really what the book was about was was what led you to be... And it was talking more about writers, okay? is when you write your first novel, you're not thinking about the process. You're just doing it. And then when you go back a lot of times and try and do something again, what are you doing? You're not doing what it was that got you to that level. You're trying to figure out how to reduplicate that. And I think that Manny Machado is in that period of his career right now that he's not just playing baseball. He's thinking about, what I have to do to be Manny Machado. And uh, that's kind of a recipe for, for trouble. I agree. And I'll, I'll tell you what, Stan. If life wants to throw me a $300 million curveball, I'd, I'd be glad to stand in the box and take a look at that. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, Stan. Thanks you, for joining us. You sound a lot happier than Manny is right now. Yeah, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not failing to live up to that kind of a contract. So. All right. Hey, Stan. guys. Doing a good job. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, thank, thank you so you, much for joining the show, man. We'll Appreciate talk to you it. next week. All right. That was Stan Charles joining us on the bat around as always for his weekly segment. And hey, if you are missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash like let me try that again. On Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Orioles legend Jim Palmer, while Stan and guest Bill Ordine chatted with Live Casino Hotel's Jake Joyce. Find both shows via the videos tab at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com. And coming up this Monday night, you won't want to miss it. When Stan and Ross are joined by former Orioles pitcher and former 20-game winner Mike Boddicker at 8. That's Mike Boddicker with Stan and Ross on Monday night at 8 o'clock. When we come back from the break, we are going to hear from the one and only Jeremy Kahn. (laughs) 
Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dicky V, Dick Vitale. Kyle, two-type dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Ahoy, mateys. It's Royal Farms. Chicken Palooza 3. About of Royal Farms Chicken Delights. Chicken Delights, Chicken Delights. Get a two-piece chicken box with a portion of each sale benefiting the Johns Hopkins Children's Center or the all-new, hand-breaded, crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal for just five bucks. Just five bucks. Quiet, birdie. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this challenging time in our community. All right, welcome back to the battle round from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. I'm Paul Valley, and with me, as always, is Vasilios Nicolau. Vasilios just told me he will not be on the show uh, next week. He's going to be on vacation, so look for a new temporary co-host next week. In the meantime, on the line right now is the one, the only, Jeremy Khan. Jeremy, how are you today, man? I'm good, man. Thanks What's for having up, me. Jer? What's up, man? So, Jeremy, before we get started, you've kind of had a, a, a rough week and a half. How yeah. how how you doing, man? How are how are things going in Jeremy Khan's world right now? I mean, I'm okay. Like it, it's it's really strange. Um, I don't know. I've, I've always been a guy to kind of bottle things up and then you know let it all out at once, which is why I love playing sports and kind of get my anger and aggression out and competing or whatever. But uh, that being said, it just it kind of it's ebbs and flows, man, and uh, it'll hit you at certain moments. Little things uh, you don't think of. It's it's kind of hard to get back to the day to day, but 
Um, and even talking sports, I've, <laughs> I mean, I taught like I, I don't, I still have the passion. I still love sports. I've been watching baseball and basketball every day like crazy, like non nonstop. But um, you know, I was over there every single day, virtually for the past three months, and then now not getting texts, not getting phone calls. I mean, that stuff, it just sucks. And I said this before, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it at this and just talking about them, that, you know, watching a child die is one of the most horrendous things you could possibly awesome. imagine. And then watching a child die that you know and that you legitimately care about, it's just soul-crushing. So I can only imagine, you know, what his mom went through. But, um, yeah, man, I, I you know, I, I miss him greatly, and uh, I, I put out something the other day like we're going to try to carry on his legacy there's talks of changing his street making a street into his name there's some charity golf tournaments and different things we're going to do uh and try to make that an annual thing just so uh, we're still talking about mo gabba but i appreciate you guys asking oh absolutely man and and, and you know I, I i sent you a text message um the yeah. the, the night that it happened just kind of let you know i was thinking about you and you know and i said it then and i'll, I'll say it again what you did for mo uh, was just it was it was otherworldly, man. You're you're a saint of a man. And I, I told you then. I'm I'm proud to know you. You know, and well, y- you you did something that a lot of people would not have been able to do, and showed a lot of strength in doing so. And we, everybody in Baltimore, our hearts are out with you, and we're just so proud to call you our own. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate it, man. I'm I'm still a terrible person in a generous <laughs> regular life, but uh, no, I look as I said before, and. I, I don't. I really don't feel like I did anything outrageous to, to kind of help out. I, I legitimately cared about him. So, um, you know, like all the things that we were doing, it's the same thing I would do for my son or any one of my friends. And, I mean, look, my wife and I have done plenty that we don't talk about. I don't talk about a ton on the air. I mean, I've mentioned a few of those things and um, some different segments and stuff that we've done, and, and we'll continue to do, you know, what we can. But, um that being said, you know, I was just, I was happy to be, he did as much for me as I did for him. And, um, you know, it, it, it reciprocated cause he was just such an amazing person, but I thank you. No, I, absolutely. And you know, that's the sentiment that I hear from a lot of people is that he did as mu- much for them as they did for him. Uh, Eric Arditi is one of those people who told me the same thing. So mm-hmm. hey, let's, let's, let's move on. Talk about a, a little bit of, uh, happier topics here. Um, your evening show. Uh, you you yeah. moved from the two o'clock um, two o'clock to six o'clock time slot with Scott Garso to doing your own show from is it six to nine or six to ten? It's six to nine, and then you know now with Orioles baseball going on on our airwaves, they kind of had the weird like seven thirty five start. So there's a lot of nights that I'll have like a fifteen minute show. So it's, it's jam packed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'll have one segment to talk, and then I do Orioles pregame uh, on Saturdays and Sundays. I've been doing Orioles pregame. Mm-hmm. Um, like today I'll be on at five o'clock and uh, tomorrow I actually got to check the time to see if it's one or one thirty that they're starting. But, uh, I'm always on like an hour before the game for a half an hour. Uh, they actually start tomorrow at 1235. Stan just told us. Oh, so, so there I'll be on at uh, 1135 then or 1130. I, I got to see how they set it up. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of odd, like going from, Hey, I know I'm on Monday to Friday, two to six. And occasionally the Orioles have an afternoon game. So I'll be off to, Hey, when do I work? Because like, uh, they've asked me to work Saturdays and Sundays, which I'm fine with. But then on on the flip side, that means they they got to give me off a couple days during the week, and it just moves all over the place. So the first time in my life, I'm legitimately checking a schedule to see when the hell I work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will tell you that I did hear you uh, on the Orioles pregame show last weekend, and I heard you. And I was like, oh, that's Jeremy, and it made it made me tune in. So you know, I feel like there's I probably a, a lot of people that are doing that. Uh, 
just as a reminder, we are coming to you from the live casino hotel studio with the bat around with Paul Valley and uh, Vasilios Nicolau. We have Jeremy Kahn from 105.7 on the line right now. Uh, we mentioned Scott and how you used to do your show with him. How do you think Scott's doing with the Orioles broadcast? Have you had a chance to watch him or listen to him? Yeah, I mean, I've watched a bunch. Um, you know, look, I, I I love Scott. I love listening to him. I've done it. I mean, I did it for the past 10 years, and I grew up with him, even watching Orioles games as a kid. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I, I'm perfectly fine with it. I know some people have been, um, you know, there, there's a lot of changing parts, and you get comfortable with what's going on. I'm sure there's, there's people that were comfortable with Scott and I in the afternoon that may not want to give the new show a chance. Um, but, you know, when you get used to hearing Gary Thorne and Joe Angel on the radio side, like, I, I actually like all the pieces that are there now. I, mm-hmm. Ben McDonald makes me laugh. Um, I think he's great. I think he and Scott pair well together. Uh, I've interviewed uh, Melanie and Jeff and, um, you know, Brett Hollander's there now. There's, so there's a, there's a bunch of people. I, I've enjoyed it. And, and with a young team and, and hearing some different voices to see maybe what the future holds, and I know Scott's an older guy, but... Um, yeah, I love it. It, it. It's funny to me because it just feels so odd because normally I'm sitting in the studio cracking jokes with him. And, I mean, I've heard most of his one-liners, so maybe <laughs> when, when I hear him drop a couple of them in there. But, you know, even going back to Mo, I thought he did a phenomenal job uh, kind of opening that up and talking about it. And um, But, yeah, I, no, I enjoy it. I, somebody, somebody had said, I think it was uh, they tweeted me and said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but as long as we don't run into the Marlins or the Bronx Bombers, we might go to the World Series. But, All right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's been, look, it's been fun. It's, it's just different for me hearing him do that. And I've had conversations with him leading up to it, um, you know, about getting practice games in and then the damn coronavirus hit. And, uh, you know, he was kind of uh, out and trying to get back in and call some games and just get comfortable with it. And I think as he goes on, it'll get better and better. But um, I mean, it's the same old Scott that I've always needed. Oh yeah, and the, the, you you expect there to be some some growing pains, and uh, the the only thing that I've really noticed is uh, mispronouncing some of the names. But we are so used to that with Gary Thorne as it is that that, that that's not really that big of a deal. What I do like what the or that the Orioles have done is that while they have gotten younger with guys like Jeff Arnold and. Um, Brett Hollander and went and bringing in Melanie Newman, which I love. By the way, I think it's such a big deal that they brought Melanie Newman, and I yeah. think she does a great job. Um, mm-hmm. I also like that they're reaching their older fan base too, because a lot of people remember Scott calling games in the '80s and, and in the late '80s, early '90s, and for them, it might feel like home and might make them want to watch games more. And I think that's why the Orioles brought them on. Yeah, and you know, the other thing I heard some people like uh, Scott mispronouncing names, like. We, we've had that during our show. Like We both do it. Um, I think as you get older, sometimes you're, you're moving a little bit faster. And you've heard so many names, and uh, things kind of run together. God knows if I, were, if I were calling a game, I would hate calling a Rio Ruiz game because I have to slow down every time I say <laughs> a damn name. Um, but, you know, like, it, it's going to happen, and everybody has their crutches in this industry. And I know I have mine, and I try to break them. I always tell people, if you hear me saying a word over and over again, tell me what it is. Um and then, like somebody had said to me, he's like, "Man, you say uh, maybe I shouldn't say this because anybody listening to me now is going to listen." Like, man, he does say that a lot. It says I say obviously a lot, which um, I mean, I guess it happens. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, you know, there there are crutch words and different things that you develop. So I'm sure it'll get better over time. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Like, I, you know, we're we're here listening to it. We got 60 games. 
if they're able to get all of them in and um, and then see where we go from there. Well, I'll tell you that my my crutch word is absolutely. I catch myself saying it 15 <laughs> times a show. I always go, absolutely. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Basilius has a, has a question for yeah. you. Um, so we, were, we brought up your new time slot earlier, Jeremy, and um, – it's, uh, have you noticed any difference like with the with the audience that you're that you're reaching at that point because I know that's that's like prime Dave and Salisbury hours right there yeah I mean it's the crazy callers like I, I did nights for a long time and like to be honest I told this story before when they told me they were moving to nights I told them I quit <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna do it I mean there were some other things that were involved with it but uh, I didn't want to move um, and then uh, and then we we sat down and talked about it I sat down with my wife and talked about it and so I eventually went to nights like you know, I got two kids that are 18 and 17 now. Um, my oldest is going off to college here in a couple of weeks, and my youngest was supposed to have a senior year, and I always go to their basketball games. Um, working nights wasn't ideal for me, especially for my son's senior year. But now it looks like all that's getting canceled or whatever's going to happen with it. But that being said, yeah, I initially wasn't thrilled about it. I, I like having my own show. I like having total control over what I want to talk about, when I want to talk about it, and, and uh, you know, having some fun try to mix in some things that I think are cool. But um, other than that, I, I think the, you know, the callers have been down because of the coronavirus. I, they, they say less than 1% of your audience calls in. And it all depends on the hot topic. The, the weird thing is during, during this whole era of, um, you know, a lot of people being stuck at home, I wonder how many people actually listen while they're at home, whether it's through their, you know, Echo Dot, Alexa, Google, whatever they have. Um, or if, you know, people are out, started to get out and about in their car a little bit more. Because, it, it, like, when I planned for phone calls, I wouldn't get them. And then when I didn't plan for phone calls, I would get them. So it was, That's how it was it always right? a pain in the yeah. ass to kind of figure out things uh, and try to set up your show. But, um, but yeah, look, I, we, we get a bunch of the crazies at night. I've already had a few of them where I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and, but I like those callers because I always feel like you can make them fun or make fun of them, for that matter. Uh, but only, you know, in jest and just having a good time with it, not just picking on someone. But let's be honest, David Salisbury is very easy to pick on. This is true. I have, I have a whole, there's a whole, we have a couple of transcriptions of his, uh, his voicemails that he's left us on the, on the voice in voicemails at WBAL. And <laughs> we, it's, we're not a talk show, man. It's just a sports office. It's, it's crazy because I, I think everybody thinks that that's, is that a gimmick or is it, I feel like that's who he really is. No, I think that's who he is. I already yeah. told somebody. I, I think he's a guy. Like he said, he's an accountant, um, and um, you know, I just you know, I've always pictured him. He's he's there with his wife. We got to talk to his wife a little bit of being like this this old fashioned. He probably weighs like you know, hundred pounds, wet and wearing boots, and you know, his wife stays at home. I don't know. Like the, the whole the whole situation just seems odd to me. And some of the stuff he talks about, I'm like, where the hell did he come up with this? Like you know, there. I mean, he's been on that kick about. Um, you know, was it Drew Brees and some of his comments, and he didn't say anything wrong, and uh, you know, the exact opposite of what the the social justice. I, I mean, they're fine; they want to do this, but they shouldn't do this during the national anthem. And we get into that whole spiel, and then it turns our radio show into something like I want to talk sports. Um, not that I want to totally get away from you know any of the uh, social topics that we have or anything. I don't like talking politics on my show. Period. But right. I always feel like when it comes down to those things, if, if we wanted to cut and dry, you know, like I, a lot of people were upset that even the Red Sox had Black Lives Matter across Fenway Park or the stuff they were doing before the games. And you're not going to make everyone happy. You're going to piss off half the people all the time. That's why I don't get into politics. I just feel like people aren't going to change their mind. Um, 
And then there's nothing that you can say to David Salisbury that will change his mind from any thought process he had before. <laughs> and that's that's that is an absolute fact. If you've ever heard Dave call into, into Jeremy's shows, <laughs> so moving on to the to the Orioles here, Jeremy. Uh, look, they swept the Rays last weekend. The Rays are supposed to be one of the better teams in baseball. Uh, they swept them, then they get swept four straight by the hapless Miami Marlins, and then they go out and they beat the Nationals eleven to nothing. Oh, they they in the first three games of that series against the Marlins they had ten hits, three extra base hits and they scored one run. Then they go out last night in the last two games they have sixteen extra base hits, five home runs, ten doubles, and they win the they win last night eleven to nothing. Who in the hell are the Baltimore Orioles? I mean I I think we're I think we're probably um, closer to the team we saw this past week than than what we've what we've seen before but in a you know in baseball strange things happen it all comes down to pitching but it is funny that they couldn't hit and then they finally hit and then the pitching gives it up that's how it goes Wade LeBlanc didn't have it the other night but uh you know the hard part is and and let me me flip this back to you and ask you guys a question because I know how I feel about it but Mm -hmm. like I mean what do you want to see happen this year because it is it's very strange right because if they get into the playoffs they have no shot at winning they have no they, they don't have enough strong pitching uh, starting pitching, that is, to get them through, even though the pitching's been great thus far. But when you start matching up, um, you know, and uh, you've got to match up with the Yankees, and all of a sudden they're trotting out Garrett Cole and, you know, um, James Paxson and Tanaka in, in a series, and we go, here's Tommy Malone for four innings, you know, or whatever. Right. <laughs> like, I, And I'm not knocking Tommy Malone, but, look, he's been a journeyman. Wade LeBlanc's been a journeyman. Um, you know, John Means and Alex Cobb, they've been great, but typically five-inning pitchers. Maybe you get them into the six from time to time. I, I just I feel like the better thing that happened to the team is lose. I here's how I play this is I I pull for them against the Red Sox and Yankees and then whatever happens the rest of the way I'm fine with. You know, if they win or lose, I just want to watch baseball and enjoy it. Um but you know, I I don't know what the end game's supposed to be because we're in a rebuild that when they were winning in the beginning I'm like are they screwing everything up? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, and to answer your question, uh I posted this on Twitter last week when they swept the Rays. In my mind, winning is always better than losing. It's always better than losing. And I, and I get your sentiment. I feel like a lot of Baltimore fans feel the same way. As long as they beat the Yankees and Red Sox, I don't care what happens in the, the rest of the season. What I look at is people want the Orioles to lose because they want that first pick because they want Kumar Rocker. Yeah. But there are some bad teams out there. Uh, Detroit's not going to be very good this year. Miami's going to come back down to earth. The Pirates are god-awful. Uh, I, you have to be you know, extraordinarily bad this year in 60 games to get that number one pick. And I don't think that the Orioles are bad enough to finish with the worst record in baseball. I think that they're bad enough to finish with maybe the third or fourth worst record in baseball. But if that's going to be the case, I'd rather see them win and give us something to, to root for in October rather than, you know, rooting for something next June. See, the other the problem that I looked at with, with exactly what you were talking about is that they're going to play the AL East and the NL East. And every one of those teams outside of the Marlins, who they got swept by, um, every one of those teams with expanded playoffs are in playoff contention, except for the Orioles and Marlins. You know, like whereas in other divisions, I don't feel that way. Like the Tigers are going to play some teams I feel like they can beat. I don't know if you guys watched what happened between the Tigers and Pirates last night. I the saw most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but uh, but you know, there, there's I mean, there's some bad teams, but are they going to play other bad teams where the Orioles are typically week in and week out going to play good baseball teams? 
That's a, that's an excellent point. I think Vasilius has a point too. Yeah, uh, no. Like to answer your question, Jerry, like I was I was gonna I was gonna piggyback off what what Paul said. I know a lot of fans are hashtag tank season, uh, tank for Kumar. Like it's it's rocker it's all, bottom, Fubar for Kumar. <laughs> exactly. And um, but I'm I'm on this I'm on the same boat as, as Paul. Winning is definitely better than losing. And I think I think the the more the Orioles win, it kind of it kind of shows the fan base that they are actively com- trying to compete. And I think, say, come next year, if, if stadiums are open for business and Oriole Park is, is allowing fans back in, maybe, maybe we'll see more fans in there than we had in years past. And whether that's going to be due to, to people finally being allowed inside stadiums or the fact that the Orioles are coming off a season where they looked semi-competitive and had a middle-of-the-pack pitching staff, I mean, we'll, 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 that remains to be seen. But I think I think that is going to be the deciding factor come next year. Yeah. You know, I don't like the word tank, but, I mean, I, I guess it's apropos because, like, you know, Mark Cuban talked about it with the NBA and the Mavericks when they were losing, and they ended up making the trade and getting Luka Doncic, who's the, the piece of their future and one of the best players in the league. But what they did is, is – you don't tell your players to lose. You're just not putting out the same product um, that other teams are. You know, you're not seeing them go out and sign. Like, Jose Iglesias is your biggest offseason acquisition. I mean, that's not saying much. I mean, he is hitting third for the Orioles, but when you when you factor in everything, you're putting out a product that's less than stellar, and what you're saying is, I want those guys to try to win, but more times than not, they're not going to uh, because they're not as talented as the other teams. And over 162 games, I think that plays out accordingly. Over 60 games, maybe not. Uh, maybe, you know, you, you get hot. or I mean, as much as the Orioles could get hot and win, you know, six out of seven, they could definitely lose, you know, 10 out of 12 or something crazy like that. You Absolutely know, I could, could see both instances happen. Well, and you said that, you know, you're putting less than stellar product out on the field. And right now, Orioles outfielders and first basemen are both hitting, both positions are batting below 175 this year. And a lot of people are pining for Ryan Mountcastle. This time last week, he had reached his 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 requisite date for when he could come up to the majors and get that extra year of service time. And Chris Davis started the year 1 for 23. Dwight Smith isn't hitting. Austin Hayes wasn't hitting. Uh, you know, why have we not seen Ryan Mountcastle? Do you think that they're that they don't think that he's ready, or is he just not performing at the camp? And is the DJ Stewart experiment over? That, uh, yeah, no, he, yeah, was, he got sent. I just can't bring it up as he looks lost. Um, and then it's you know that, the big problem with a, a short season too is the, the confidence issue, right? Where uh, I mean, if you start off, I mean, Brian Roberts said it on the broadcast that he started off one year 0 and eighteen, o for eighteen or something, or o for sixteen, and he's like, man, when am I going to get a hit? And now you think about it, you're pressing you probably press a little bit more, like, man, I haven't got a hit in five games or six games, whatever it is. I mean, it was nice to see Davis get a couple of hits last night. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, the, the outfield has been less than stellar. I mean, let's be honest, across the board, like, you look at Nunez, um, you look at uh, Santander and uh, Hanser Alberto, and, and Alberto's a journeyman as well. Uh, maybe Nunez and Santander have a, a place with this team in the future. You wonder about guys like Austin Hayes. Uh, we were all high on Cedric Mullins, you know, over a year ago, and then we saw what happened there. I, I, there's just there's not a lot of talent, and, and like when I try to explain to people that are they purposely trying to lose? No, but they're not putting the best product out there, and that's part of this rebuild. 
which may be part of the reason why they're going to see how things go with Chris Davis because uh, they're paying him anyway. When people are like, "Well, why isn't Mountcastle up?" and you know, Nunez is. I, I'd never ask him to bring a glove to the ballpark, even though they put him over there at first base. <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting. But, uh, but I mean, the, the sad truth of it is, like, when you see names that are floating out there that aren't... When Adam Jones left, he wasn't making much money. He went to Arizona. He actually started off with a really nice season. He could have stayed here, but he would have been blocking some of the younger players. And um, they're going to continue to do this until they feel like they're in that position to actually go spend legitimate money on legitimate players. Uh, and I guess we'll have to wait and see how that goes, but... I mean, the Astros did it, and we're going to do the same thing. Maybe they had some better pieces in their farm system when they started, but uh, we're still working on that. Well, and so do you think that that's the reason? Maybe that Mountcastle hasn't been brought up yet, the yeah. fact that, that they I, might not want to put that product on the field yet? I mean, it, it, that's the hard part of this, because I, I don't know. I mean, like the whole point of it is to see some of the young guys play, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so may, maybe it is that they just want to – they're paying Chris Davis, so they don't have to put Mountcastle out there. Like I said, you could DH him, but then you're blocking Nunez. Uh, we were talking about that with Trey Mancini before he moved to the outfield, and I mean, he's, he was fine out there before you know, the, the cancer issue. And now you look at um, we have the same thing going on. Is Nunez going to be a first baseman? Where's Mountcastle going to play? A lot of people don't think he's going to play third. Can he be a corner outfielder? I, I see more and more teams. I mean, VR leaves our team and goes to the Marlins, and they put him out in center field, and then they have uh, the coronavirus hit, and then he started playing some you know, infield and playing outfield. I, I watched uh, the, the Dodgers and the Giants last night. Darren Russell was a first baseman. They moved him to the outfield. He misplayed a ball. Like, teams are constantly trying to put players in the corner of the outfield and just like, oh, they'll be fine out there. And uh, Some guys are okay, but some are just god-awful. Well, if, if, if you can hit, they're going to find a spot for you, and that's why we keep seeing yeah. Renato Nunez at, at the corner spots in the infield. But I also think – that they're kind of high on Dwight Smith. I think they like Dwight Smith. He's, he's gotten off to a slow start, but they like his bat. His defense looks better this year. doesn't look as lost in the outfield as he did last year. So they might be higher on Dwight Smith than we're giving them credit for, and that might be why we're not seeing Ryan Mountcastle right now. But, but I also think there's a benefit to just, it's going to sound awful, not caring about the results. Like, you're, you're just going to put the product out there, and if you lose games, you lose games. Um, and people can say what they want, again, not tanking on purpose, but the fact is, when you're losing games, you are going to get higher draft picks, and it's not just the you know every, everybody's talking about tanking for Kumar and getting the number one pick. Let's say you get the third pick in the draft. Well, you get the third pick in the second round, in the third round. I, I mean, I think right. there's a huge benefit to having those advantages. Um, which it, it sounds counterproductive, right? Like it, we always talk about competing and you want to win and you play to win the game, the old Herm Edwards thing. But in baseball, they're showing you that there's an advantage. If you're going to go through a rebuild and stinking up the joint and re- replenishing your farm system, if you do it right, um, and getting back at it. I just had this talk with somebody about the Marlins. I mean, think about the, where the Marlins were, right? So, I mean, Jose Fernandez passes away, which is a you know terrible story in and of yeah. itself. But think about all their position players. I mean, they had Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, JT Realmuto, Giancarlo Stanton. They had all those guys in their lineup, and they traded every single one of them away. Um, now they're back in that rebuild, and they got to make sure they're doing it right. I mean, the Orioles traded away some pieces, but by no means, and I love Manny Machado, and I love Jonathan Scope and Britton, by no means, that star power there, Stanton's falling apart uh, for whatever reason. We don't need to get into that. But Christian Yelich could have won the MVP had he not got hurt last year. Marcelo Zuna's just crushing it. JT Realmuto is going to be the highest-paid catcher in the league after this season. 
um, you know, there there was some serious talent on that team, and they just traded it all away, and now they're going back through the motions again. And now, what are they seven and one in their last eight games? Or yeah, something? they started the season seven and one. They're winning. They've won six games in a row. But you know, that's Florida baseball. You know, they don't they don't draw a ton of fans. They don't have the money to compete with the big boys. So they 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 bring it's the Rays have been doing it for. 12, 13 years now. They they build up their farm system. They compete in a three to five year window, and then they they get rid of it all and start it all from scratch. They should move them to Nashville. Like I, I knew all the rumors about the Orioles in Nashville. Orioles like Nashville anywhere. is totally ready to take on a team uh, that they. I mean, they call it Nash Vegas because they just keep building down there. I, right. I think it'd be the perfect place to put well, a baseball team. Derek Bring back the Expos. Thrive. Bring back the Expos. He said, "Bring back the Expos." I said, "Derek Jeter would thrive in Nashville." Yeah. But, but uh, Jeremy, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. Before we let you go, you're familiar with this segment. You, I believe, you all called it "Pick to Click" on yeah. 105.7. Um, we do our own. We call it "Take to Rake." Where who are you going to take to rake? Vasilios and I, we pick a player uh, each Saturday uh, for the entire week. Uh, so not just for the game that night, but for the entire week. Last week, I picked Austin Hayes. He picked Rio Ruiz. When we do our segment, we're going to talk about who won that. I think we all know who won that one. Um, okay. <laughs> but my question for you is, who are you going to take to rake for this coming week so we can add you to this uh, this little competition here? I guess i got to go with Pop, and I, I, I just bashed him for his ability with his glove, but Nunez can knock him out of the yard, so... I'll go with a, a Nooner. Give me uh, Renato Nunez. Right, I had awesome. a, that's who I was leaning towards for myself, but I had a feeling you were going to take him. So Jeremy Connell on the board with uh, Renato Nunez. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining the show, man. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jerry. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it, man. All right, man. So, take care. All right, see you. I got to tell you, man, I, I Jeremy Conn, he came on um, the payoff pitch with me last year. You were a guest on the payoff pitch last it year. Was. Uh, Jeremy came on when we were still doing it as a video, so he was in studio on camera with me for about a 40-minute show, and it is so easy to get lost in a conversation with that guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's so engaging. We just, did, we just did about 35 minutes with uh, – with, I'm sorry. No, we did about 30 minutes. We did about 30 minutes with, with Jeremy Kahn, which I have no issue with. We don't have a guest until 1135. It didn't so the, feel like. It, it didn't because he makes it so easy, and that's yeah. why he's so good at what he does. Really great dude. Glad to have had him on the show. Um, another show that people should be talking about that also shoots live here from the Live Casino Hotel studio, uh, and that's Glenn Clark Radio. And every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports. I think Glenn wrote this this one about himself. Pragmatic and, irrever- and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might show up, pop up. On GCR, this week, the guys called up with Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford, Richard Blyer, ESPN's Jeff Darlington, and MLB Network's Jim Callis. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review at PressBoxOnline.com, as Kyle says, in the archives. All right, we're going to get a break, and when we come back, we're going to do the payoff pitch around the league, talk about some of the scores from last night.
If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to Army.com Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Are you hungry? Well, sail over to Royal Farms for Chicken Palooza 3 and get your hooks on a two-piece world-famous chicken box with a portion of each sale benefiting the Johns Hopkins Children's Center or the all-new hand-breaded crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal, for just five bucks. Shiver me tenders. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this challenging time in our community. The biggest pro wrestling star today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Let's have Chris Jericho, Le Champion, AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Battle Round, broadcasting to you from the live casino hotel studio. Once again, I'm Paul Valley, joined by my co-host today, Vasilios Nicolau. Uh, Vasilios. Yes. We are about to do the payoff pitch around the league. Are you ready? Because some, some wild stuff happened last night. I am 100% ready. Uh, let me, hold on. Actually, let me buckle in, all right? All uh, right. You, you buckle in. Buckle up, as we like to say around here, as we do the payoff pitch around the league. Blake Snell and five other pitchers combined for a two-hit shutout despite five walks last night, and Michael Perez contributed a pinch-hit sacrifice fly in the bottom of the eighth to spoil a gem by Masahiro Tanaka as the Rays beat the Yankees 1-0 to to improve to 6-7, and while the Yankees dropped to 9-4, and suffering their third loss in their last four games. Now, Vasilis, I told you to buckle up. Buckle up for this one. It took a late touchdown. But the Lions beat the Steelers 17-13 to last night. Wait, we're talking about baseball. We're talking about baseball. No, 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 no. It was the Tigers beating the Pirates 17-13 to last night in, thir- in 11 innings. The Pirates' Eric Gonzalez, he had four hits and six runs batted in. But the Tigers, led by Nico Goodrum's five RBIs, used a four-run fifth, a six-run seventh, and a four-run eleventh. To outlast the Pirates in a crazy 17-13 to finish, it certainly sounds like a football score. That is a football score. Absolutely. 
the Marlins. The freaking Marlins, man. They stayed red hot. Francisco Cervelli homered again and drove in three. And Marlins pitcher struck at 11 Mets in a 4-3 win Friday night. It's their sixth straight victory, improving them to a Major League best 7-1. and one. Now, look, the seven wins are the Major League best, but the one loss is. And the winning percentage of about 8.33 is definitely the best in the Majors. The Marlins, out of nowhere, playing some really good baseball right now. We know that firsthand here in Baltimore. Red Sox, Alex Verdugo homered twice, and Boston relievers combined for six innings of one-run balls. The Red Sox held off the Blue Jays last night 5-3. to three. The Royals added three more extra base hits Friday night, bringing their AL leading total of 52 as Kansas City cooled off the Red Hot Twins 3-2. to two. The Twins are 10-4, and 103-win team from last year, and they're not slowing down this year. Uh, Nick Castellanos collected his NL leading seventh home run and drove in three to bring his NL leading total to 16 as the Reds, uh, in, in the Reds, 8-3 to three victory over the Brewers. Christian Yelich, we were talking about him a little bit with Stan earlier today, hitting just 125. He homered for the second straight game for Milwaukee in the loss. Of course, the other game was an inside-the-park home run on a poor play out there in the, by Eloy Jimenez in left field. The White Sox walked eight batters, but managed to hold Cleveland scoreless in a 2-0 victory. Mike Trout homered on his birthday for the fifth time in his career, but three Angels' errors led to three unearned runs, and the Rangers held on to win 4-3. The Rangers scored scored four runs in the bottom of the fourth inning, and that was all they needed. They, they won that game 4-3 last night. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit his fifth home run, and Zach Davies went five and two-thirds scoreless for my fantasy team. Uh, as the Padres blanked still the defects. We don't need to add that. The people just need to know that Zach Davies pitched well for me, man. Come we'll, on. We'll talk about that and take the rake. Yeah, what, whatever, man. Uh, uh, he went five and, two sco- uh, scoreless, five and two-thirds scoreless as the Padres blanked the D-backs three to nothing. It took 13 innings. I stayed up to watch this game last night, but the A's won their seventh straight game, the only team hotter than the Marlins right now, on a walk-off single by Marcus Simeon, defeating the Astros 3-2. The Astros had actually taken a 2-1 lead in the top half of the 13th, but then the Athletics came back with two uh, in the bottom half of the inning for the walk-off victory. Zach Greinke pitched six scoreless for the second-place Astros, the second-place Astros in the loss because the Athletics are in first place right now. And the Astros are actually below 500 at 6 and 7 right now. Wow. Not enough trash cans out there, apparently. <laughs> uh, Charlie Blackman continued his hot hitting, collecting three hits. And Daniel Murphy drove in four as the Rockies improved to an NL West leading 10 and 3 in an 8 to 4 victory over the Mariners. Mookie Betts returned to the lineup with a homer and a double to lead the Dodgers to a 7 to 2 victory over the Giants. And that was actually the final game. I thought I had one more game, so I apologize for the abrupt stop. Uh, Vasilius is going to get you uh, going here with the games that are on tap for Saturday. Vasilius, what do you have for us? Well, first of all, I think we should put a music bed whenever you, we get the uh, the payoff pitch around the league. I think I think that would make it sound just that would just make it sound mm, like yeah really good. Uh, you can if, if you can learn how to do that <laughs> without <laughs> drowning us out. I'm all for it, man. Go ahead. What do we have on tap right. for today? We got on tap for the two ten time slot. We got the New York Yankees against the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Indians against the Chicago White Sox. Then for the four o'clock hour, we have the Detroit Tigers going against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Then the Houston Astros take on the Oakland Athletics. Then six, the 6 o'clock hour, we got Baltimore once again against the Washington Nationals. Then the Atlanta Braves against the Philadelphia Phillies. 7 o'clock hour, we got the LA Angels against the Texas Rangers. And the Twins against the Kansas City Royals. 
the Miami Marlins against the New York Mets, the Cincinnati Reds against the Milwaukee Brewers, the Toronto Blue Jays against the Boston Red Sox, and then come the 9 o'clock hour, we got the Colorado Rockies taking on the Seattle Mariners, the Arizona Diamondbacks taking on the San Diego Padres, the San Francisco Giants taking on the L.A. Dodgers, and then we have Game 2, which is approximately going to take place 30 to 45 minutes after the first game of the New York Yankees and Tampa Bay Rays. They have a doubleheader going today. And then, of course, there's one postponed game due to COVID-19, and that's the Chicago Cubs at the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals had another per- another player test positive uh, yesterday. So that, that, they've only played five games, yeah. five games this year. So that's um, amazingly, we were talking about the Nationals um, and how they haven't had a lot of pop. The Nationals have only hit eight home runs this year. The only two teams that have hit less are the Diamondbacks, who have hit six somehow in 14 games, and the Cardinals, who have hit six in five games. So you're looking at the Nationals, who have played 10 games, twice the amount of games as uh, the Cardinals. They only have two more home runs, and then not a lot of pop coming from that Nationals lineup. And with that in mind, we're going to talk to you a little bit about this Beltway series, about the Orioles. And we've mentioned it all show long. The Orioles swept the Rays, got swept by the Marlins, beat the Nationals 11 to nothing. Did you know? that the Orioles are third in Major League Baseball with 48 extra base hits, and they have 29 doubles, which I believe is also third wow. in Major League Baseball. I did not. Yeah, they they are tearing the cover off the ball despite that Marlins series. Again, 16 extra base hits in their last two games, 10 doubles and um, ten doubles and five home runs, and one triple, the Anthony Santander triple on that mis- misplayed uh, dive. No, 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 I'm sorry. That was the fly ball that he hit out to center field that he would have been out at third base if the cutoff man hadn't dropped the throw. Yeah. But also the Orioles against the Marlins, they scored one run in the first three games. They scored seven in the last game. They averaged two runs per game for that series. But in all other games, the Orioles are averaging a major league best 5.8 runs per game. So if you take out you – t- you can't take out games. From the schedule, right? You can't do that. But if the Orioles had just done what they've been doing before and after that Marlins series, 5.8 runs per game is pretty pretty formidable. Even still, they're about middle of the pack right now. They are averaging four, almost 4.7 runs per game uh, offensively. So really, really swinging the bats well. And what I really like, the bullpen's ERA is down to 396. I know. The bullpen's ERA is down to 396. And if you take away... Not take away. We're not going to take away because they, they played the game. Yes. But in the 12 games since opening day when the Orioles allowed nine runs in five innings of uh, relief, the bullpen ERA is 266. Jeez. 266. Tanner Scott, um, Sean Armstrong, Miguel Castro, and Michael Givens, all big-time arms in that Orioles bullpen, all ha- play prominent roles, all have 0.00 ERAs That's coming fantastic. out of that bullpen. That's fantastic. It's, it's, it's amazing to see because – the only team last year that had a worse ERA than the Orioles. Actually, that's not true. The Orioles and the Nationals set a major league record for worst ERA in the modern era. Last year, the Orioles' bullpen ERA was 579, and that was that was worst in baseball. Right now, 396 and 266 in the last 12 games. Really pitching well. We mentioned the walks are down. 33 walks as a unit, as a team. Third in the American League. 15 home runs, 8th in the American League. This team is just, they're, they're, they're pitching pretty well. They are. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's very reassuring to see. I think that 
if they continue to build like this, I mean, this, this bullpen, I mean, they're not getting any younger. Michael Givens is 30 years old now. We don't know what's going to happen uh, for his future. But guys like Tanner Scott, guys like Sean Armstrong, they're playing well enough to get opposing batters out. And, I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just really in, here for the ride. Like I mentioned to Jeremy earlier, I'm, I'm seeing competitive baseball. And I know I'm not just speaking for myself, but competitive baseball is going to make people want to watch the games and want make people want to go to the games when they start allowing fans back at the stadium. Absolutely. And it's there's that word. There's absolutely. <laughs> i got to figure out how to take that out of my vernacular. It's like a space filler. Um, yeah, no, the, the bullpen is pitching really well. Tanner Scott, I love his arm. I love his stuff. He's got a upper 90s fastball. He's got a mid uh, a mid to low 90s slider, which is just devastating. His as, control as looks much better this year. He's... It's it's misleading because he's thrown some nasty pitches that are nowhere near the strike zone that just makes people look foolish. But if you can be effectively wild, and that's what that's what it is. He's being effectively wild. You know the walks are down across the board, including for Tanner Scott. I feel like he has closer stuff. And with Hunter Harvey on the shelf right now, look, Cole Salser is handling that well that 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 role fairly well right now, despite that one that one blow up against the Yankees. But I think in the future. You're going to see Tanner Scott in a late-inning role, either as a setup man or as a closer. But you also look, the, the rotation has been very good also. Alex Cobb, he's got a 251 ERA. His, his first start, his third start were fantastic. His middle start, he didn't have it. It wasn't his best stuff, but guess what? He still only gave up two earned runs. Whereas last year and the year before, specifically the year before when he just wasn't tuned up yet, that's, that's a, a start where he would have given up six or seven runs. In, in three innings, he went he went just over four innings, four and two-third, I believe, and he gave up two earned runs. Wade LeBlanc, he has an ERA approaching seven, and it's so freaking misleading because in his first start against the Red Sox, he exited the game in the sixth inning with two outs. He had allowed two runs. There were two guys on. Castro came in. He has a zero ERA, but he allowed two inherited runners to score. If he gets out of that inning, that's two runs that are taken off of, of, uh, off of LeBlanc's uh, resume right now. He had the bad start the other day, but his start against Tampa Bay was very, very good. He's pitched a lot better than you would think. Malone's been great the last two starts. Means, he, we all agree, he was he was overly amped for that start against the Yankees. He was popping the mid at 96 miles an hour. He was just overly amped. Looked a lot better in his last start. And for me, and that was against the Marlins, he gave up two hits, one run, um, no walks in four and two-thirds innings, he was at 72 pitches. And I, I said this to Glenn, uh, to Glenn when he was doing his show the other day. I really believe that his first start, it was 50 pitches or three innings, whatever comes first. His second start was 75 pitches or five innings, whatever comes first. I think his third start, the handcuffs are off. Yeah. I think the handcuffs are off. I think that, that, that uh, John Means is going to be unleashed from here on out. And I know we got to get Matt Kremnitz here on. we got to get him on the show here in just a minute. We will. I just want to say that, uh, you know, Asher Wojciechowski, he's also pitched very, very well. Um, he's given up seven runs in two starts, but all seven runs come in the first three innings. His first outing, he gave up he gave up five runs in the first three innings, but he retired 9-10 to 10 to close out against the Yankees. And then his, in his last start, Gave up two runs in the first inning, but retired 13 of 15 to finish his outing. So the stuff's there. It's just he's getting off the slow starts. Yeah. And, and so right here, I have the latest edition of the Press Box magazine. 
on the cover, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record and the unique 19 minutes of silence ESPN's Chris Berman spent while the celebration unfolded. Bill Ordeen spoke to both Berman and Ripken about the incredible moment. Also inside, Ken Zalas offers his fantasy football draft guide and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. It's a great issue right here. You can see you got Cal right on the front. Cal's big night, 2131. Can't miss it. Pick it up at any one of those 500 area locations. Excellent job, Facilius. Excellent live. Really appreciate you taking the reins while I got our next guest, Matt Krebnitz here of uh, Pressbox's own Matt Krebnitz here. Matt, how are you today, man? Hey, Matt. Matt, you there? Yes. There you are. How you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Great, doing, man. Thank you. Doing really well. Thank you for asking. Um... We had you on the show today. The Orioles, they beat the Nationals last night 11 to nothing. We were talking to all of our guests about this because we're trying to figure out exactly who the Orioles are right now because they swept the Rays, they got swept by the Marlins, and then they beat the defending world champions 11 to nothing last night in, in, in just a laugher. What team are they really when we talk about the Baltimore Orioles? Uh, I think maybe somewhere in between. Um, I don't think... Uh, the view of them has changed too much. Uh, you know, they're probably going to finish in the, the 20 to 25 win range. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're, we've only played a, a couple weeks worth of games, so you know, there there is still a lot to learn, and a number of guys on the team um, are playing better than than you'd think. And you know, considering that they're also not playing with Trey Mancini, um, you know, it, it's it's definitely encouraging. Um, but I do think they have a number of of hitters and probably pitchers as well who are playing, you know, over their heads. I mean. You, you probably don't think someone like Jose Iglesias is going to keep doing this. Uh, Renato Nunez is, is hitting with a crazy amount of power, which isn't too unusual for him, but maybe, maybe to this extent. Um, and a couple other guys on their team are, are playing, you know, above their heads a bit. Um, so, uh, you know, while it's it's nice to see, I, you know, I don't think they're as bad as getting swept in a four-game series by the Marlins bad necessarily. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, I don't think the view has changed uh, too much of them. But, you know, there still are encouraging signs. Well, in that series with the Marlins, do you think that that was more just an outlier, and it was it was a team that thought they were going to roll a team, and then when they when they didn't start hot, they just started pressing? It's definitely possible, um, especially with the way the hitters were in the first few games of the series. Um, maybe just thinking they were going to you know win three of the four, uh, maybe not taking them too seriously though. That doesn't uh, that's usually Brandon Hyde has them pretty prepared regardless of the opponent. Um, so that that definitely could have factored in. Now you t- you wrote an article recently for PressBoxOnline.com where you talked about five players uh, that are low cost players for the Orioles that could have a role in the future: uh, Hanser Alberto, uh, Anthony Santander, Rio Ruiz, Renato Nunez, and Pedro Severino. Uh, but what I noticed about the article was that you never you didn't give anybody better than a medium chance to be with this team long term. Talk to us a little bit about that article that you wrote for PressBox. Sure, sure, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I labeled those five guys and uh, the staying power. Um, a, a couple of them were medium. A couple of them were, were low, I believe. Um, so, you know, w- when you look at that list, okay, so Alberto, 
uh, is he someone who's going to be around long term, or is he a trade chip? And you can kind of apply that to, to all all five of the guys. Right. Um, of, of the players mentioned, you'd probably figure Santander might be the guy with with the highest ceiling. Um, but then you know you see, you kind of see how they fell apart when someone like Rio Ruiz was out. Um, they, they were they really missed his defense, especially in that Marlins series while he was out. And if he's anywhere close to the the hitter that he's kind of showed this season, and also. Uh, the end of last season after he uh, rejoined the ball club, um, he could be a guy who, who maybe sticks around for a few more years. It's not like the Orioles have a, a great solution uh, who's about to you know, take his job or anything like that. Um, so uh, across the board, you know, Alberto, he's definitely a trade chip. Santander, uh, he may have the highest ceiling, but he, and he's probably not going anywhere. Uh, but we also don't know how good he is yet. We don't know if his bat's for real. Uh, Ruiz, we're, we're learning about his bat, but his glove is, is relatively solid, and there's no one about to take his job. Um, but is he, you know, he's not like a star player or anything. Uh, and with Nunez, he's terrible defensively, uh, but in, in terms of a DH, he, he's, he's pretty good. So, right. um, you know, do, do you, is that someone who is definitely going to be around for the next few years? Maybe. And then with Severino, um, you know, Rushman might be in the major leagues next season. Uh, is Severino a trade ship? Is, is he a backup option? Um, that's something that they have to determine uh, depending on what's going to happen with Chancisco and, and if his you know, small sample size success this season is, is for real, too. So with all those guys, there's not like a definite, you know, this guy is going to be really good in a few years. We, we just still have a lot, to, a lot to know about these guys. Well, and with Renato Nunez in particular, in, in your article you mentioned that you don't – I think you said his staying power was low. Um, and that's evidenced by last year he hit – 30 home runs, drove in 90, but he had a 311 on base percentage. I noticed, though, this year that right now he's hitting 292, but he has a 382 on base percentage. He's walking once every 6.8 plate appearances, whereas last year it was once every 12.3, just about. Um, what are you seeing from Renato Nunez's approach? Is, is this just a progression of a player, or is this a player who's just started the season hot? Uh, I, I would lean on the, just starting the season hot, but I agree seeing more walks and the higher on base percentage is encouraging. Uh, part of the staying power being low for him is, again, he's, he, you can't really play him anywhere on the field. Um, he, when he's at third base, he's a definite liability. At first base, not so much, but he's still not good there either. Um, but it also has to do with, I, I believe this is his first year of arbitration, so next year will be his second. Uh, with the trade that the Orioles had with Jonathan Villar, they're showing that maybe they don't want to have those guys uh, later in arbitration, also with Bundy as well. They may not want to keep paying for those guys who they don't think are, are big factors. Um, with Bundy, maybe it's not looking so good right now. VR, it, it doesn't really matter with how Iglesias and Alberto are playing right now right. Up, up the middle in the infield. Um, with Nunez, you know, how, how much do you really want to spend for a designated hitter? Uh, and depending on what happens with Davis next season, also whenever Mountcastle joins the team, if he proves that he's a fit in left field or if he's a DH and also or, or first baseman for Mountcastle and also Mancini is going to be back at some point and he probably should be playing first base so you're kind of uh, grouping a bunch of guys in here who are maybe you know really first base DH options that does someone like Nunez kind of get crowded out or maybe even traded at some point I, I can't imagine he would bring back much in a trade but with how he's hitting now maybe a team you know needs it needs a hitter might, might want to grab him so it's it's not so much saying that he's not not a good hitter um, it's just that, you know, maybe, maybe you don't want to sign him for a bunch of money. Uh, you don't even want to maybe, maybe he's even a non-tender candidate 
next season, depending on uh, how he finishes the year. But right now, he, he's looking really good. But that can change fast. All right, and I, I said earlier, he reminds me a lot of Luke Scott, where he's a, he's a guy who can hit seven, eight home runs in a week and really carry a team offensively. But then he's a very streaky player. Uh, he, he'll he'll go ice cold for a couple of weeks after and won't won't hit a home run for a month. Uh, you yeah. know, w- with with the staying power that you've mentioned, it, what's amazing to me is that all the Orioles outfielders and their first baseman have had staying power because. With the, going into last night's game, look, everybody hit in last night's game. They had 19 hits last night. But the outfielders were slashing 174, 271, 289 for the Orioles this year. And first basemen are slashing 171, 261, 390. And yet we have still not seen Ryan Mountcastle. Why have we not seen Ryan Mountcastle? That's a great question. Uh, I, would sure, I sure would love to see him. I think all fans would. Um, you know, Before last night's game, things were again looking a little bit bleak. You're kind of looking out to left field, and you see, you know, you were seeing DJ Stewart, and that didn't work out at all. And then you're seeing Dwight Smith Jr., and he's okay, uh, but he's not very good defensively. So at the same time, you know, you have who's now, you know, Mountcastle, who's their now number five prospect according to MLB Pipeline. Um, and you, know, you saw what he did last year; he was really good for uh, for Norfolk. Um, it, it seems like a great time to get him some some major league experience. Um, but I also I also read John Mioli's of uh, the Baltimore Sun, his article today that just kind of looked at uh, what Mountcastle was working on um, at the alternate site at Bowie. Um, it seems like the main two things keep coming up for Mountcastle are plate discipline, and also it seems like they're really worried about how he's going to perform in left field without a bunch of experience there in the minors. Uh, a lot of some of the details were mentioning just even getting the right spin on the throws back into the infield, which you know if they're having to harp on that, maybe that's not such a great sign. Um, but in terms of the bat, I mean, it would be great to see him. If, if he doesn't play at all this year, it, it would be an incredible disappointment. Uh, you know, not just for him, but for the fans, too. Uh, it's something exciting. It's better than watching Stewart out in the outfield or even Smith at this point. Um, to actually see someone who's an actual prospect beside Hayes. And, uh, you know, Hayes didn't get off to a great start this year either, but there's still time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's exciting for fans to have a chance to see someone like him. And it, it seems like the Orioles are taking their time with their actual prospects. Even Hayes, last year, people were a little surprised when Hayes didn't start the year with the team after his hot start in the spring. Um, but the Orioles really seem like they're focused on development. And uh, if Mountcastle is still not up in a few weeks, it'll be surprising. But it does seem like they're, they're trying to do their due diligence here. Well, and then you mentioned D.J. Stewart, and that was another first-round. He was actually a first-round pick the same year as Ryan Mountcastle. And he had those eye-popping numbers at, 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 down at Florida State. He, had, he, I think he set the record for highest on-base percentage collegiately, right around the 500 mark. But at the major league level, it just hasn't translated. And he looked, he looked just awful at the plate in his limited action this year. He, he looked absolutely clueless and certainly not worthy of a first-round pick. What happened to DJ Stewart? That's a great point. Um, you know, uh, before he was even drafted, I think there were some question marks about him, both because he had this heavy crouch that he used uh, at Florida State, and also uh, in the Wood Bat Leagues afterward, uh, there he didn't perform well. There were some red flags. Some other teams were definitely staying away from him. Um, and, you know, the Orioles took a shot on him, and, you know, as maybe someone who could move quickly through the system and get to the major leagues and surprise some people, um, it just hasn't happened. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like any of his offensive skills are really translating across the board. He's not getting on base. He's not hitting for power. Um, so maybe he was just never going to be good anyway, and it just was kind of a wasted draft pick. 
Um, but sometimes those guys work out, you know, they're overlooked a little bit and, uh, you know, they, they can kind of move quickly through the system. And for whatever reason for him, it, it just isn't, uh, it doesn't look good right now. Well, I think it's a telling sign that when you draft somebody in the first round, the first thing you do is change their batting stance. That maybe they're not going to make it at the major league level. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, so I wanted to – Paul and I earlier, have, we were talking about the Orioles pitching today and how last night Tommy Malone went those six innings, gave him only three hits, three Ks, and they have a team – ERA right now four four two, four four two four four two. What do you? How do you think the Orioles can improve from here with their pitching? Because the pitching looks pretty good right now. It's middle of the pack statistically. Where do you think they can go from here with what they have? Uh, in terms of improving the pitching staff, uh, I don't know if they can do a lot with with the current guys on the team. Um, some of them are pitching way better than you expect, especially strikeout wise. I think in terms of like strikeout percentage, they're at least in the middle of the pack, which is a, a big jump for them. Um, especially out of the bullpen, a lot of the guys are getting a bunch of swings and misses. And like you said, you know, before before LeBlanc's last start, he was looking fine. Malone looks great. His last two starts, he's getting a lot of uh, swings, you know, awkward swings uh, on his changeup. I don't know how long you can expect something like that to continue. Alex Cobb looks good, and John Means has looked fantastic. The results maybe haven't been there, um, but but he's someone you know with the increased velocity, uh, just looks awesome. Um, so you know, if he can stay healthy, some he's someone to be excited about, and maybe. You know, even think about it as like an ace. And also, if you look what the bullpen's doing with Hunter Carvey, you know, you, you can't really be too upset. I mean, a bunch of the guys are, are playing above their heads, you'd say. Um, so in terms of improving, maybe you see some of the guys from the minor leagues, like Kramer or Aiken, maybe they get a shot soon, kind of in the, in the same situation of Mountcastle. You know, maybe those guys get a shot in a few weeks. There's, there's no reason or anything to rush them. Um, but I, I don't see how they can do much better than, than they've done so far in terms of just looking at the staff in general. Um, I think they've been really good, and it's, it's hard to ask too, too much more of guys like Tommy Malone. And Asher Wojciechowski, he's kind of been like a Jekyll and Hyde this year because his first three innings have not have not been great. He gave up five runs in the first three innings against the Yankees, but then retired 9-10 to, to end his, his outing. Then he goes up against the Marlins. He gives up two runs in the first inning and then finishes out and re- retiring 13 of 15 why is Asher Wojciechowski getting off to a slow start? Because it's clear to me that he has the stuff to pitch and pitch well in this league. He just isn't doing it early on. Yeah, uh, he's one of those guys where you kind of see clips of, like at his best, uh, his, his slider is filthy. Uh, so you watch someone like that and you're like, well, why can't he do this all the time? And it's just not that easy. Um, he, he sometimes suffers from lack of uh, command. He's, he's kind of all over the place in the strike zone and even outside of the strike zone. Uh, especially early in games, sometimes the first or second inning, uh, it looks kind of rough, and then he'll kind of settle in. Uh, he'll kind of just stay around the strike zone a bit more, stop putting uh, you know guys on with walks. Uh, it's a good question. Um, he still seems like more of a number five swingman type, but it's still been a nice find for him, and you know he still has some time to keep impressing and and even keep getting better. So uh, he's an interesting guy to see uh, get some more starts. I think. What. Well, What's certainly helping the starters, he, Tommy Malone last time was the first Orioles starter to go six innings pitched. But what's helping the starters is it's nice to know that when you leave the game that you're in good hands. And right now the Orioles' bullpen is 396, 266 in the 12 games since opening day. The team is third in the American League with 33 walks and eighth with with 15 home runs allowed after allowing 305 last year. Is this the Sigma Dell, Mike Elias, 
analytics taking over. Uh, what have you seen from that that has made that, that that's causing the Orioles to have such a jump, such a drastic improvement from one year to the next? Yeah, they're definitely pounding the strike zone. Um, so you know, it increased that with uh, a lot of four seamers high in in the strike zone. I think those two things together. I mean, they've been preaching throwing strikes, not giving away at bats. Uh, those two things uh, in particular. Um, it seems like they've worked. They've gotten a lot of uh, innings out of guys like Castro, Lakins, um, a few other guys who, who have been playing above their heads. Um, I think Armstrong has been fantastic too. So you know, if you're going into the season, you wouldn't necessarily think those three guys would be great. Um, so maybe it's kind of a small sample size thing, but uh, the strikeouts are good and the lack of walks are definitely good. So I don't know if we can put put our you know we can just pinpoint anything specific that they're doing that that we're not seeing, um, but whatever they're doing. Uh, is definitely encouraging. I certainly agree with you. I do think that they have been attacking the strike zone a lot more and pitching with a lot more confidence. Last year, it just seemed like we they had a bunch of guys coming out of that bullpen who just did not trust their stuff. And one of the guys that I think of, well, two of the guys really, Tanner Scott, who has he his stuff is just absolutely filthy. But also Evan Phillips. To me, these are big league pitchers who didn't have they they have walk numbers in the minors, but they weren't astronomical, and then they get to the major leagues and they just can't seem to find the strike zone. Is that more because they're fa- they were facing selective hitters or because they were pitching at a higher level and not trusting their stuff? Yeah, no, that's definitely a good question. Um, I don't know if, it, if we can really say for sure right now. Um, it's only been a couple weeks. But I don't know if the Orioles have just identified some guys where they, they like the movement of their pitches. Uh, they just fit in well with, with the kind of you know four-seamer, uh, curveball, different kind of movement planes that that they've find, you know been trying to acquire. Um, but yeah, I, I, we do have more to learn about these guys, and it, it looks good so far. Um, will it continue? I think is is another question. I, and I know we really wanted to see what Hunter Harvey could do, kind of in an unleashed role. Um, but unfortunately, he's still dealing with uh, an arm issue. So hopefully, we can find out in the next few weeks if he's able to come back because he was kind, of, you know, maybe supposed to be the guy, and now. You know, Solcer is the closer. We didn't know much about him going into the season. And, you know, it seems like he, he's grabbed that role. And for the most part, you know, except for the Aaron Judge home run against the Yankees, been pretty good. So you can throw him on the list as well. Um, they've, they've seemed to grab a few guys who fit with what they're trying to do. And it's working. Yeah, Salser was a guy I was excited to see the Orioles pick up because he was he pitched well in the minor leagues and he had, you know, albeit limited action with the Rays last year, but he had a zero ERA. And, you know, you don't come to the majors and not give up a run and not have some kind of ability. So I was excited to see him join the Orioles. Surprised, just like everybody else, to see him kind of handed that closers role in the early going. But man, Hunter Harvey, just talk talk about a kid who just keeps experiencing bad luck. You have an electric arm, first round pick, and you you can't stay on the field, man. It's so disheartening. For sure, um, you know, it has to be incredibly disappointing for him because it seemed like he really took to uh, a relief role. Um, just kind of being ready every day, ready to go, not having to sit around, you know, waiting for your next start. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's going to have to wait a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, out of all of the guys in the bullpen, it seems like he's the guy with the highest ceiling. It would be nice to see more of him soon. Um, it, just in, in limited action last year, kind of with Hayes, you know, those two guys at the end of the season, getting to see them and them do their thing fully healthy, it was, it was pretty exciting. And, you know, maybe those kind of, those guys were like kind of the first wave between the next prospects who joined, like Mountcastle and everyone else. So um, it would be great. It'd be great to see him before the end of the season, kind of you know, do that again. 
uh, especially with the kind of velocity he has. Uh, his, his pitches are nasty. It's just about staying staying on the field. Well, certainly, and it's interesting. It would be it will be interesting to see that they were going to take all the handcuffs off this year, give him no restrictions, and now it's going to. It'll be interesting to see if they handle him with kid gloves again uh, when he does get the opportunity to pitch. Um, do you think that the Orioles are going to be? I don't think they're going to be buyers at the trade line deadline, but do you think they're going to be sellers? Do you think there's going to be guys like Michael Givens and Alex Cobb who won't be on this roster come September? I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Givens were traded. I would be surprised if Cobb was traded just because he's still due a good amount of money next season. Last year is the last year on his deal. Um, I think he also has a, at least a partial no-trade clause, so it's really up to him, but I don't see why he wouldn't want to go to a team that's uh, you know doing more compet- uh, that is more competitive than the Orioles. Uh, I do still see them as sellers. Uh, the Blyer the trade kind of shows that they're willing to just, if, if they see anything of value from another team that they can grab, they're going to do it because they're taking a long-term view. Um, they're, they're adding as much young talent to this group as possible. You can kind of see the core um, forming a little bit, uh, but there's still a long way to go. And, um, you know, another thing about the bullpen is it's nice to see some of these new faces. You know, it's not just the same guys over and over again. Some guys like Castro uh, and even Phillips, like you mentioned before, they, they do seem like they have improved. But we still have a lot to learn. But uh, in terms of being sellers, yes, I, 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 don't, I do think they're going to sell pretty much anyone they can that they can, think they can get young value for. I'd, I'd be stunned if they, you know, bought anyone, even if they were close to the race. You know, even if they were to stick around 500, I guess they're still technically in the race. Um, but I, I, that would shock me. Well, and you kind of just answered my last question for you. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I know your answer to this, but where do you honestly see the Orioles placing when the, when the dust settles at the end of the season? Can they make a run, or should we just kind of enjoy the baseball they're playing while they're playing it? Uh, I would enjoy all the good moments because – uh, I don't. I don't know if if you really asked Mike Elias if if he wants the team to be in the playoffs. I, I honestly don't know his real opinion. Maybe he does. I mean, it's it would be awesome. Even in a, even in a shortened season, there there you know a lot of people who just they're just focused on the number one pick. That's the only thing that they want. They want the Orioles to lose every game, and that's that's not the kind of fan that I am. I kind of I, I like these little moments. It, it would be pretty funny if they were to somehow sneak into the playoffs. It's something that even in a weird shortened season we'd be talking about for a long time. Even if they lost in the first round, it would honestly it would be hilarious that the rest of the league would would allow something like that to happen, considering what the roster looks like. Um, so no, I, I, I see the Orioles finishing somewhere in between twenty and twenty five wins, uh, which is you know pretty good considering you'd maybe figure they would have top out at twenty just thinking about it before the season. Um, but I, I think what matters more than the number of wins is. If if you keep seeing the process, uh, the the improvement of guys like Means, Ruiz, Alberto, even if they end up being trade chips, maybe maybe hopefully not in Means' case, but even if these these guys keep improving and become trade chips, I, th- I think that's uh, good for the long term nature of the Orioles competing for a number of years, not just in this year. Well, I certainly do agree with you in, in that aspect. And, you know, for, for Orioles fans out there that, that are hoping that they're going to make a playoff run, even if they do, this, this season is an anomaly. So that does not mean that the rebuild is over. If the Orioles are one of the 16 teams that makes the playoffs, and you could see a team that is below 500 because so, more than half the league gets in, you could see a team that gets in. Uh, I just... The, the rebuild is not over if the Orioles somehow make a run and find themselves in the playoffs. And I think that's important for, for fans to understand. For sure. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Excellent Thanks, segment, man. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. You did a great job. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys.
All right, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. You know, Matt was a guy who I was uh, really. I, 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 we we follow each other on Twitter, and he always has an opinion right. about about the Orioles. And I was I, I wanted to get him on the on the uh, podcast last year. I'm glad we were able to get him on one of our first three shows. I look forward to having him on shows again because. That was fantastic. That was uh, he, he had an answer for everything and a well-thought-out professional answer. So uh, Matt Kremnitzer, a really great job. Press box his own, yeah. Matt Kremnitzer. So, all right, we're going to get a break. When we come back from the break, we're going to close the show with our favorite segment, Take to Rake. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to Army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can you give me a ride? Ahoy, matey. I'd love to. Batten down the hatches and let's set sail. Um, why are you talking like a pirate? Because our voyage will stop at Royal Farms for Chicken Palooza 3. Yo-ho-ho! Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3 is going on now, and it's a treasure trove of golden chicken delights. Sail in and get a delicious two-piece, world-famous chicken box made with fresh, never-frozen chicken or the all-new, hand-breaded, crispy-on-the-outside, tender-on-the-inside, world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal, for only 5 bucks. Plus, a portion of each chicken box sale will benefit the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. Well, uh, shiver me timbers, Dad. Let's heave-ho to Rofo. Oh, that's my little scallywag. Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3. It's bigger, better, and more tasty than ever. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record and the unique 19 minutes of silence ESPN's Chris Berman spent while the celebration unfolded. Bill Ardine spoke to both Berman and Ripken about the incredible moment. Also inside, Ken Zalis offers his fantasy football draft guide and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com Welcome back to the Batter Round from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. I'm Paul Valley. This is Vasilius Nicolau. Getting a little bit of that Glenn Clark radio music going on right now. This is this is Glenn's music playing on the Batter Round right now. I, I I dig it, man. I definitely dig it. All right, so time for my favorite segment, your favorite segment. Take to rake. Vasilios is up one to nothing. Um, can't remember who you took week one. 
I took um, Pedro Severino. You took Pedro Severino. I believe I took Chris Davis, which was you know, a debacle. He started season one for 23. Last week, you took the easy pick, Rio Ruiz, who was tearing the cover off the ball. I took Austin Hayes because I felt like Hayes had run into some bad luck and was pressing a little bit, but was due to break out. Well, Rio Ruiz only got seven at-bats all week. Yep. He was one for seven. He went 0 for five. Last night with three Ks, he, I think he was just—I think he was one of just two starters that didn't have a hit. Uh, Austin Hayes this week went six for twenty-three. That's a two sixty-one batting average. Last night three for five. He had two RBIs and a stolen base during the week. Not an overwhelming, not an overwhelming performance, but certainly better considering the first week of the season he batted one thirty. Yeah. So yeah, that one night where he went zero for five as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. One, I think he's had a couple nights where he's gone off for five. So, um, don't take it personally, man. It's 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 not personal. It's not personal, man. It's it's just business. All right. So, with that in mind, I think we're tied up. Yeah. I I, I, I think it's I think it's one to one right now. I think I won last week by the skin of my teeth. Uh, Real Ruiz. Uh, you don't wish injury upon anybody, especially not for take to rake. Not just so you can win and take the rake. I would have rather had Real Ruiz play and maybe help the Orioles win a couple of those games against the Marlins. But he didn't. Yeah. One for seven, three Ks last night. Uh, so we're tied up at one to one, which means I get the first pick. Yes, you do. Please. I get the first pick. And I was going to take Renato Nunez, but our good friend Jeremy Kahn took him for take to rake this week. So I'm going to lock in Jose Iglesias. For this week, now that's an easy pick because he's hitting 455 and he leads the majors in doubles with seven. And he has seven RBIs, but he also missed some time with an injury. That quad's still not fully healed, right. so there's a chance that he might not get as many at bats. So it's kind of taking a flyer on him, even though he's tearing the cover off the ball. Another four hit game last night. I'm taking Jose Iglesias. What you got for me, Vasilius? All right, I'm gonna take my guy, the lefty killer, Hanser Alberto. Okay. I like it. I like it. That's that's a solid pick. Alberto batting three thirty nine this year, and he's hitting a sweltering six hundred against left handed pitching. Six for ten against left handed pitching this year. Last year he hit three ninety eight yep. over the course of a full season. I think we had two solid picks, man. This is it's going to be interesting to see. Starting with today again, the Orioles playing the Nationals tonight at six oh five in Game Two of the Beltway Series. It's going to be Thomas Eshelman and his. 271 ERA facing off against Austin Voth and his 361 ERA. We will certainly see how that game goes. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the bat around here from the live casino hotel studio. Uh, thanks to Vasilios again for joining me on the show. Again, Vasilios is not going to be on the show next week. He's going to be on vacation, so I'm scrambling to find a co-host. Uh, if you want to audition, send me your tapes. I don't Don't send me tapes, guys. I'm not. Whatever. Anyway, we'll talk to you next week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys.